GGTMC, we are live, we are on the air, we are something, I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm Samurai, across the board from the good pal Big Willie, and across the pond from us is our good friend David, the most GGTMC nickname of all time, Alcock. Last name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is his last name. <laughs> if it's his nickname, he's uh, he's doing well for himself. Uh, it's branded, it's a true name. So. <laughs> So David. Uh, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's all real. Yeah. <laughs> so how you doing, Dave? 
I'm very good. All the better for speaking to you guys. No, oh, thanks. We appreciate Excellent. that. Well, it is an honor. And of course, uh, I don't know if you, you may have just mentioned this, but it this is our first Kickstarter show. No, I didn't mention that. Yeah, uh, this is our first of our Kickstarter contribution show. Which again, we want to thank everybody that did. And now that we have David here, we can thank him personally. We do thank you very much for that. Yes, thank you. Uh, Pleasure. It keeps the show uh, going and stuff. and takes a lot of pressure off Will and I. <laughs> Life is not cheap, uh, especially when you start bringing little ones into this world. It gets very expensive very quickly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dave knows all about that. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. It's it hard. gets very expensive very quickly. So uh, we do thank everybody for that. So this week, uh, Dave had a couple picks for us. And you don't mind if I call you Dave, right? I'm going to make sure that. No, no, that's fine. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> Could just call you Allcock the whole time, I guess. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the the picks that Dave chose for us was uh, 1986, I believe. Uh, Maximum Overdrive, directed by yep. one uh, Stephen King. A <laughs> uh, very unique film, to say the least. I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear Will. I don't think me, Will. I don't think you mean you've ever really talked about this film at all. No, we haven't. I think we've both kind of talked about reading King as youngsters. Yes. So, um, but that's kind of as far as it's gone. Be so interested. I'm very curious. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious to hear what you think of this too. So, and the other film is uh, a director we hold near and dear to our hearts here at the show. It seems like no matter what we do, somehow, some way, we find a way. And in this case, it was a gift given to us to cover a film from him. We don't cover a lot of new films, so we cover now and then we cover newer films. Uh, but this is still semi-new. But this is a director we tend to, with his new products, we actually do actually cover his films. It seems so. Sixth. Film from the refin that we've covered on this yes. show. That's I think that's a record. Yeah. So and if you haven't picked it up now, it's 2011's Drive, directed by one Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, looking forward to talking about that one. We've never officially talked about it. Me and Will have talked about it lots off the air though. So I, I can't believe it's taken you this long to, to officially get around to it. It's uh, yeah. time. Well, it's it's one of those things where it's like you know, do we do we cover that? There get some other stuff we want to cover. We know we're going to cover it at some point. When do we pull it out? When do we don't? You know, same old problem you have when you're dating. You know what it's talking about. But uh, <laughs> the uh, there's another film out there actually that I'm thinking about uh, pulling the card on pretty soon. But I'm not going to give it away yet. But it's something else we kind of promised coverage on. So we never got around to. So just drool about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is what we are covering. Uh, let's get into what we've been watching. I'll defer to the guests first and see what Dave has. Dave, what have you been watching? What have you been up to? Uh, well, um, the, the, the last movie I watched uh, was Falling Down. Nice. Uh, the, the Joel Schumacher, Michael Douglas movie. Oh, yeah. Which I'd, I'd never seen before, and it's one of those ones that cropped up on TV. Uh, and I think I've only ever seen like the first 15, 20 minutes before, but I fucking loved it. I, I really I like that. that film too. I, I'm a I'm a Schumacher guy. I, I don't know what it, I don't like all of his films. He makes some crap, but I do like some of his oh, films. Yeah. No, no, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And um, I mean, there's some parts that are a little dated now, even in the the, the short time that it's been. But um, Michael Douglas's performance is just uh, fucking amazing. Nice. Yes. Oh yeah, it's so good. And it's he. I think I've said on the show before. I often dismiss Douglas when I just kind of think about him in generic terms, but when I stop and think about it, man, he's made a lot. He's done a lot of performances I quite like him in. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's a very good actor, very good producer, very good actor. Um, very good motorcycle rider in Black Rain, according to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know it, babe. You know it, babe. <laughs> Anything else, Dave? Uh, sorry. Uh, so that I saw uh, the Woman in Black. 
Oh, the uh, new film? Daniel Radcliffe, um, which I was, again, quite impressed with. Um, just a good good old-fashioned ghost story done really well. Um, not too much CGI. I thought it was tight. It was, you know, there was some predictable moments in it. Um, but overall, a good old-fashioned haunted house movie, yeah. Oh, nice, nice. I, almost I really everybody, want to see that. Yeah, almost everybody I know that's seen it likes it, so... You know, there's a lot of good opinion out there. A lot of f- people I trust, and they have everybody I know that's seen it dug it. So, no, I was really kind of just going to overlook it. I'm definitely going to check it out now. Uh, I mean, I've got a list here. Just I just wrote down stuff. I mean, this is going back over, say, the last month because as uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys, I don't know how the fuck you do it. I mean, I, how you watch? I know everybody says well, this, but how you watch all these movies? Well, how you do it? You're listening. Uh, you're still thinking about the way we used to be a year ago. It, it Will does better than me, but we, neither one of oh, us this do month is a gong show. But I'm at like four for the. I'm one, two. I like four or five for the month. Yeah, I'm not doing very well either. As my son gets older, it's just you know, and the weather gets warmer. It's I don't even try to fight it anymore. It's just like you know, if I get yeah. if I get one or two extra in, I'm happy. I'm just happy, honestly. The podcast for me at this point has become an excuse to watch two movies a week. A raw, an ironclad excuse. Yes. I I know at least I'm going to get to watch two movies this week. You know, at least. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you I'm can just run over, just run over a few more. Just let us know the ones that you really think maybe you want to get out there or that you you know you want to touch on. For uh, I watched uh, Purple Rain was another film. Another <laughs> nice. old movie. Yes. I, saw, I hadn't seen it. Uh, there was a documentary over here on Prince, uh, and I watched Purple Rain and fuck me. <laughs> It was incredible. Yes, I can't. I can't. It's it's almost hard to even describe. I don't know. It, it's a totally unique film, and it just blew me away. And I, I got hold of the Blu-ray, and it's stunning. It's a good-looking blue. Oh, it looks great. Oh and man, I gotta pick that blue up. Yeah, I'm dude. a big Prince fan. You know. Oh yeah. I, I yeah. Like Prince, and uh, but it's I can't even describe. What is it? I don't know. It's 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 a it's an odd movie, but just incredible yeah yeah i agree with you it is an odd movie i've often wondered about covering it on the show how i would approach it critically i don't know yeah. uh nostalgia wise i know how i would approach it but critically i don't know it'd be it'd be a challenge for me i mean it's, it's some it's autobiographical yeah it's extremely stylized and there's some incredibly awkward moments in it but the, <laughs> yeah. it's a concert movie and it's a drama and it's a romance and a, i don't know it's weird but i i love Oddball things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Understood. Uh, well, uh, I watched the thing called Nightmare Factory, which is a documentary about the K and B makeup effects guys. Nice. Oh yeah. Uh, that that was interesting because I'm really into that kind of thing. You know, whether it be models, makeup effects, you know, old school techniques, things like that. So uh, it was great to get an insight into, and it, it goes way back from the very very beginning. It was nice to see a lot of the old. They had, you know, loads of uh, home video footage of them working on Evil Dead 2 and messing around and some great mullets as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, you know, Greg Nicotero alone, his story of his rise into the business is, is like one of those like great like movie stories. It's yeah. like, like so much happenstance and so much, you know, what ifs and stuff. Yeah. It's like so great. I think he like saw George Romero at like a restaurant <laughs> in Rome or something or something like That's that. Right. When he was a teenager, yeah. Yeah, he just kind of went up to him and stuff. And next thing you know, the guy's on the Day of the Dead set. And yeah, he was all set to go to, um, I think his father was a, a dentist or a doctor, and he was going to go to medical school. His whole future was mapped out for him. And then he said, no, fuck it, I'm 
I'm going to work, going to work on Day of the Dead, and that was it. That's yeah. crazy, you know. Fuck it, I'm going to make zombies. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Good on it. Um, what else was there? Uh, Chronicle. I saw Chronicle. Oh yeah. Is this yeah, any? Is this, is this any good? I don't know. I'm undecided. Um, I think it was a a, a good use of uh, the found footage genre, and there's some very clever things in there. But overall. Uh, there were some things in there. I mean, the, the, I think it was the characters more than anything else. I'd, nah. Hmm. It, it pissed me off a lot. Oh, okay. They were dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what else has there been? Uh, Tough Turf. Nice. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just got net, Netflix over here and that popped up and I thought I'd check it out. <laughs> uh, that's some primo 80s cheese right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's on Netflix. Again, that's on Netflix here too as well, I believe. But like Purple Rain, there's some really awkward switches in the f- for going from heavy drama to really broad comedy, which it's just, what were they thinking, you know? Yeah. I often wonder which decade it was the most awkward film was. Was it the eighties or the nineties? That's you know, as we've been doing the show, I debate sometimes. I think the nineties I think is more painful, man. Early nineties. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah. Well fashion wise, I think we can both agree that the nineties is a much more awkward phase. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> Yeah. I hate looking at pictures of me from uh, like grade nine and ten, eleven. It's brutal. Yeah. You hate them, but I love them. <laughs> silk shirt. I mean, just terrible silk shirts. I remember when I thought because I had a couple pairs of silk boxers that I was king. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> brutal. I'd ask my parents for silk boxers for Christmas. It's so brutal, man. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> uh, but the, the two, I guess the two, the best films I've seen recently were Headhunters. Nice. And uh, this must be the place. The new Sorrentino movie. Oh. Those, those, those were two seriously, seriously classy movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen those? I've seen Headhunters. I crammed it for before year end. It's a pretty good film. It's getting a release over here. Um, yeah, it is. It's. Uh, I'd said it's sort of like um, I saw the devil, but I, I admired it because I didn't have the emotional attachment to it as much as I did with I saw the devil. I think they're very similar films. Yeah, true. In some and ways. It gave me a real Cohen Brothers kind of vibe. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, absolutely you do with that one. It, it's pretty good, man. It's uh, There's some pretty insane stuff, like uh, I think near the end with the tractor. It just, it's really wild. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd recommend that. And I really, I watched This Must Be The Place twice. The first time, I really, again, I really didn't know what to make of it. But on second viewing, I got a lot more from it. And uh, again, a really, really unique movie. And thanks to you and this movie has totally turned me on to Sorrentino now bought the oh, box wow. yeah yeah really gotta watch all his movies now yeah he's a dense filmmaker um and sometimes you have to be patient and rewatch his stuff but I like I said before I, I'll put him up against anyone working in the world today I think he's just fantastic yeah and yeah. I haven't seen this yet I I I have to see it still, yeah. um, but everything else that's been I really adored. I haven't seen either. Or... I haven't seen either one, so I'm looking forward to seeing both. So, and I, and I like um, I like it when European directors, their view of, of America. America. You know, you take a European director and put him in a situation where he makes a uniquely American movie, and you get some really interesting stuff come out of that. Yeah, yeah, that like, was that was. Tim Vendors did that. Yeah, yeah he did that, and in a more in a lesser state, that was my argument as to why I like Piranha 3D so much. <laughs> <laughs> Will wasn't seeing it and wasn't buying when I he wasn't picking up what I was putting down, but uh, no. <laughs> that's the way I kind of saw it. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'd pick that up any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it down, man. No, it hell no. My legs and my arms around it. No. My dying grasp. You wouldn't get that on my hands. <laughs> my cold, dead hands. <laughs> Just like old Charlton Heston there. Yeah, man. Okay. All right, Will. What have you been watching, brother? Uh, my bet. My bet. It's turned into a month of, of me watching my wife's films, man. Um, Real Steel, which um, I'm not quite done yet, but... I like for what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we can all kind of be film snobby about it, but the the CG is fantastic, and it really is. Someone, one of our friends, had said it's it's um, over the top with robots. Yeah, and, I have a feeling you know, I'm going to get emotionally when I do finally sit down and watch this film. I have a feeling I'm going to get emotionally invested in it somehow. Yeah, you and will I, for sure. <laughs> and, and if if our boys were maybe three or four years older, even more so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's one I'm definitely going to buy on blue. So my one boys are a little bit older, I can watch with them. So. What I've seen, I liked. I mean, listen, of course, there's things that you're going to roll your eyes at, but for what it is, it's very well made um, mm-hmm. and enjoyable. Um, then the only other, two, only other two things I watched were I watched the uh, Peter Gation uh, documentary Limelight. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that? About, yeah. Well, his rise and fall is, is sort of the, the king of the New York club scene. Um, and it was really great. Um, I did love it as I thought I would, as you thought I would. Yeah, I thought you would. Uh, Bobby, what's his name? Bobby, oh, I say Bobby Bethard or Bobby Petrino. I'm talking about football for some reason. Bob, I can't remember his name. Anyway, the guy, he made Cocaine Cowboys. Um, he makes really great documentaries. Uh, yeah, I yeah. would highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. And last, and also, I love that he's Canadian. I love that a, a guy from Sudbury, which is like a mining town, <laughs> became like the club king of the of the universe in well, New York City, and he had an eye patch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had to wear the eye patch. Well, no, no, you know, technically he didn't have to wear the eye patch. He could have done sunglasses, but I love that he decided to go with the eye patch. He rolled out with the eye patch, so, <laughs> yeah, so that was very good. Um then I watched Corman's World. Uh, I can't remember the, the full title of it. Um, I think it's a good documentary. I was impressed by some of the people they pulled for it, like Nicholson speaking in there. There's a moment when Jack Nicholson cries thinking yeah, about yeah. him, which is, is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, um, he owes his, he essentially owes most of his career to Roger Corman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they got him. They got Marty Scorsese. They got Ron Howard. De Niro. Tarantino. De Niro's in there? I mean, what's that? In De Niro in there, too? Uh, I can't remember. I don't... I thought oh, he was maybe in there. for a minute. I can't remember yeah, now, but yeah. but oh yeah, I think De Niro is in there because they're talking about Mean Streets later on and stuff with Scorsese. So it's a good documentary, but it's very much play it safe, and it's nice to look back. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's you know it's kind of vanilla. But I it's think still good. I think my concern with seeing it is, and I haven't seen it yet, but I am going to watch it. Is that I know so much about Roger Corman already. That's just it. Yeah. That I don't know. It, it might just be like going over stuff. It might just be like a nice, like nostalgic trip for me as opposed to a film. It's almost like buying an, um, a, a musical act that you like's greatest hits album. Right, right, right. You know, you can enjoy it, but it's, you know, yeah. you're, kind of, you're familiar with everything. My full force uh, greatest hits CD, yes. yes. I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for- uh, that's it. I forgot that me and Bret Hart are friends on Facebook. Are you? Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, I am friends with Bret the Hitman Hart. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I don't remember hitting him up. Maybe he hit me up, which would be even more crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Get him on the show. Uh, I don't know what kind of movies. I don't know what kind of sh- movies he would be into. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, okay, so I didn't watch much. I watched uh, one film outside of the uh, two for the show that I managed to squeeze in ever so slightly, and that was uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Oh, nice. Which I checked out and stuff, and I liked it. I mean, it's good. It's fun. It was a fun movie. Uh, nice set piece. Well, really, one really great set piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, all the set pieces are pretty great in their own way. Um, you know, this is really, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of glad Tom Cruise always has like this bread and butter train to go to because mm-hmm. I think he does 
this character in this film well. Mm-hmm. Uh, his other action movies that he does like this, I don't really care for. But I, the Ethan Hunt character, I, I, I kind of get, can get into. I like two, three, and four. I probably like them in order of two, four, three, and then one, which is really sad when you think about the fact that Brian De Palma directed one. You would think that that's really weird. That of four films, the first one is your least favorite. That that's got to be yeah. a very rare thing. Yeah, yeah. And I like part two mostly because John Woo is just kind of doing all of his Wooisms. He's doing like yeah. like every like it's like a John Woo greatest hits package. <laughs> It's like yeah. what he couldn't do for Hard Target, he decided to bring into Mission Impossible oh. 2, you know, including doves. Watch, oh, wait, I, know, I think there's doves in Hard Target. I don't know. We'll have to revisit soon and find out, but I'm pretty sure there is. There's always doves in a Wu film. Um, but no, it was fun. I had a good time with it. It was great on Blue. Uh looked great on Blue, which uh, I want to talk Renner's about. Renner's good in it. Renner's good. Yeah, he's good in it. Uh, Paula Patton's hot. Oh, always. Um, Simon Pegg is hot. No, I mean, uh, I didn't mean that way. <laughs> No, I, I think the casting is good. I think it's fun. I wish Ving Rhames was in it more. Just let me say that. So, I don't know yes. if that's a spoiler or not. I don't really care. I just wish he was in it more. <laughs> oh, I, oh I, I tell you, if it has one weakness, I don't think the guy they cast is the bad guy, the guy from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really... He, he He's good in it, but he, he doesn't feel like he carries enough heft for me. No? No, so I didn't I feel like... Fine. I didn't think like he wasn't as good as like Doug Ray Scott in the uh, second film, which I know you haven't seen the second film, but... yeah. He, I don't feel like he had enough heft for me, so that's just me, though. But uh, yeah, that's all I watched. Uh, but what do we what do we do now? We want to get into a little bit about what uh, Dave does, or that's exactly I think. Before we get into the reviews, why don't we um, let everyone know? For those that don't know, um, Dave uh, is is someone that uh, works in in this industry that we we love so very much, and maybe he can tell us yeah, a little bit about what what he does and and whatnot. Uh, well. Thanks for the love. And um, yeah, for my for my sins, I'm a, a storyboard artist, um, which basically means I sit down with the director, sometimes the second unit director, visual effects guys, and it's kind of the first visual pass on the script. I tend to get hired quite early on on a production, and just start just start sketching and drawing. Um, even though nowadays you have previews where they, they animate sequences. Again, mainly for the action and the stunts and the special effects. You know, you wouldn't do it for a standard dialogue scene. Um, and just start, it's like a visual script. And um, thumbnail it out with the director, go through the script. Invariably, you'll, you'll go through a scene many, many times and do versions because it's as much about what you don't want to do as what you do want to do. It's kind of the director's first chance at, at kind of doing a paper edit and getting down what's in his head. And. Uh, so yeah, I draw I draw pictures for a living, Fantastic. And, uh, and I love what I do. I mean, it's it's basically my the perfect marriage of all my interests and passions, film and artwork, um, and I get I get paid to do it. So I count yeah. myself very very lucky. That that is that is great. I I mean, most people. I mean, me. I can tell you, my professional career is not what I wanted to do with my life, no. but uh, you know, this this podcast has afforded me the chance to talk to people. Who work in in the uh, the business that I would have loved to have been a part of? I just never got an opportunity, and uh, it's really great to always talk to people who appreciate this opportunity to work in this business because you know it's a much maligned business, right? I mean, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, "Oh yeah, Michael Bay, fuck my," you know, all this kind of stuff. But you know, there's people out there that really, really love what they do in 
the business of entertainment. And it's always great to hear somebody say, I mean, the people we've interviewed for the show, most everybody has been very positive about it. Wouldn't you say so, Will, for the most part? Yeah, I would say so. I think but a lot of the times we work with people that work with people. Well, we, we'd speak to people that, that thankfully are in positions where, you know, they, they don't get lost in the shuffle of a big machine, and which I guess probably would make it easier to become cynical about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, believe me, there is a lot of very cynical, very jaded people in the industry, which is a shame. But um, you know, it's that kind of industry; it can do that to you. Right. But you know, I, I'm I'm a cinephile. I'm, I'm obsessed with movies, and since I was very, very small, it's what I always wanted to do, and I never entertained doing anything else. So I I, I do have a genuine passion passion for it. So uh, I love I, that. I, I hate to cut you off, dude. I love to hear you say that. I love to hear that people that are passionate about film work in film. Because my outside assumption is there's not enough of you. Is that a correct assumption? Uh, that's, that's totally true. And, you know, it does piss me off when people complain. Yes, it can be incredibly long hours. And especially when, you, you know, you have a family and a lot of traveling and a lot of long hours. Um, so it's very testing. But for me, it's all worth it because... Uh, you know, I, I get paid to do what I love, and you know, I, I get down sometimes. I complain, I get tired, but hell, you know, I could be <laughs> cleaning toilets or stacking shelves somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, no, I love it. I love it, and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Now, yeah. is there anything you? I don't know if you want to get into details. Anything that you're comfortable talking about that you've worked on in the past uh, that people would? Uh... Sure. No, no. I, yeah, I'm comfortable. Whatever you want to know, fire away. Um, maybe just rhyme off some of the things that maybe you're involved with their films. Uh, Maybe a couple of films you worked on that would be of interest to our audience, and and maybe if you have a, a little quick story, uh, you could say. Uh, uh, you know, uh, let me see. Okay. Um, well, right now I'm doing uh, <laughs> working on a just a little movie called Fast and the Furious Part Six. Yes. <laughs> oh wait. Uh, someone I'm talking to here is uh, quite pleased about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're working. So I, you, you've. I'm I'm just kind of going through some of the stuff you worked on here and stuff. I don't know what you can and cannot talk about, but there's some well, yeah. uh, there's some uh, drool-worthy uh, material in here. Have you? I guess you're looking at IMDb or something, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, well, yeah, just hit, hit me with some. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just looking at what's coming up. I mean, you got uh, and and I'm excuse me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is you. Uh, you got World War Z in here. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was in Budapest. Uh, that was literally like being dropped into a war zone. Yeah. Oh wow! Wow. <laughs> the film, the film, or the country? <laughs> uh, the, the the movie. It was. It's it's epic. It is truly, truly epic. And it was. I was brought on quite near the end. They were shooting the the, the big finale of the movie, which I can't really talk about. But it's yeah. It's uh. It was like being dropped, literally dropped into a war zone. Yeah. You got uh, you got uh, this to give our listeners an idea. I mean, uh, this is you know Dave's worked on some pretty big. Stuff. You got the Wolfman in here. You got yep. uh, Black Death in here, which is a film I quite dug. Hannah's in here, which is a film I like more than Will, but I know he dug it as well. Yeah, I dug the craft of it. Uh, yeah, Hannah, Hannah, I'm actually quite proud of because out of all all the movies and like any industry like this, you know, I'm a freelancer. It's all based on networking and contacts, and you know relationships with people joe wright the director has not only become a you know a great work colleague but a good friend and uh he you know he has his critics i know but he is a pure pure filmmaker in the in the purest 
sense sense of that word, yeah, and man. it's always always a pleasure working for him. It so. should be said also that you worked on the upcoming uh, Dark Shadows film, right? Yeah, that was great. Um, I think I, I got to see Tim Burton twice for about ten minutes each time, um, which was a shame because I was working for the DP. Oh, okay. Who was called uh, Bruno Delbonel, fantastic French cinematographer, yeah. who shot. I think he shot Amelie. I believe uh, so. <clears throat> lovely, lovely guy, wonderfully talented uh, DP. So that, that 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 was great fun. So working with him, you know, I don't just work with the director. I work with the stunt guys as well in the visual effects department. So uh, See, can't wait. I'm seeing it. I'm actually seeing it tomorrow. Tomorrow night is the cast and crew screening. So uh, I get to finally see it then. Nice. Nice. It's, it's it's so. I'm just like I'm. I'm like I'm so like jealous and envious of that. You know, because looking through your filmography, I mean, looking through the stuff in here that you've worked on, I mean, there's a a lot of stuff in here that I'm quite a fan of. And I remember when Will hit me up and he was like, "Hey, you know the you know this guy, you know, and told me about you know just blah 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 to keep it short." I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'll check out his IMD. I'll check it out when I get a chance." So I just kind of happened on it one time, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy's done a, worked on a lot of stuff that you know I'm actually quite a fan of." Oh. Yeah, it's, and I want to say, Dave, you've been a great, great part of our community. For those that don't know, <laughs> you designed the beautiful T-shirts that we've gotten gotten those train wheels slowly moving towards. Now, the yeah. GGTMC T-shirts, David was kind enough, without even being asked, was gracious enough and giving enough to design that T-shirt. So <laughs> He's done a lot of nice stuff of us without ever uh, asking. <laughs> well, talking about our, our, our picture, our... Um, our banner picture right now will live like a cop, <laughs> like a gentleman. Yes. <laughs> yes. I get to be Perel to Sammy's Lovelock. <laughs> all I care about is I'm behind. That's all I care about. <laughs> I like That's to right. think it's that way in real life. <laughs> yes. I'm using Perel, if you know what I'm saying. I'm wiping right. a little bit. <laughs> uh, Dave, uh, Dave, I have to ask, what was it uh, What was it like acting as Capital Soldier in Mutant Chronicles? <laughs> <laughs> It was it was great. Um, I, it was like being a kid again. I mean, it's uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's not the it's not it's not exactly a masterpiece. <laughs> but um, it was so much fun to work on. So I'm, much fun. You know what? I've I, never I, watched it, but I'm I'm going to watch it now, and I'm going to look just for you. You, sh- you. You should. I wish you would, and you guys would be the best review. I mean, it's it's very very GGTMC. I tell you that. <laughs> nice. Um, I always wanted to uh, see. I, I have here. I think they, they bit off more than they could chew. It was a bit too ambitious for the budget they had, but I think I died three times in that movie. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, put, I had the prosthetics on and coughing up blood, and I got to do a scene with Thomas Jane, and uh, and then since doing that movie, became good friends with him, and then he, after we finished, he took me over to L.A., and st- I stayed at his house to, work, to storyboard Dark Country for him, and it was that was a real kind of big big moment in my life and career that 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 movie so uh, i don't know i have a soft spot for that film yeah yeah that's awesome thomas jane he seems like just like a true fan of films he just seems like a guy that really loves movies he is he's exactly what you think he is and hope he is he he is a fanboy through and through he he will admit that he's a just a massive geek i mean he's got his own comic book company you know he writes (laughs) and produces his own comic books and as uh, I've, you know, I've got many, many stories about Thomas. Which, nice, uh, nice. Well, we'll save him for another time. We'll have you on again, I, and we'll talk. Yeah, I uh, definitely want to get you back to hear some Jane stories and yeah. a ton of other things. Yeah, so yes. he's, he's, uh, I tell you, he's a man out of time. If he'd have, he should have been uh, doing what he does now in, say, from like the early seventies on. He could have been Bert. He he could have been Bert. He's a huge McQueen fan. He's a big fan. 
uh, of um, fuck <laughs> point blank. Um, <laughs> oh, Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. He's a huge yeah. Lee Marvin. He's fan. fantastic. He loves all that old stuff and. He'd have been great in, in those kind of roles, and uh, and again, as I said, he's a big geek like us, and he, he fully admits it. That's nice, awesome. nice. He's great. He's a great guy. Yeah. Well, I just have to say, uh, you know, we're going to go to break here in a minute and start reviews of the films, but I just want to say one last time, you know, I am flattered that you listen to our little show, considering oh, yeah. some of the heavyweights you work with, good sir. So, hey, uh, it's time. It's, I wish, you know, I'd been more got, you know, doing the artwork and things was, was just my little way of of getting involved because I'm not. I'm not the most vocal on the, uh, the forums and the groups and things like that. I kind of take a back seat a bit, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. All right, so uh, what are you guys up for talking about first? Uh, I'll leave it in Dave's hands. It's his yeah. episode. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, well, as I said earlier, I've, I've literally got about eight fucking pages of notes on Drive. We should uh, probably do Drive. Well, I don't want to say anything. That's Yeah. Uh, we, let's do drive first. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll do drive first. That'll be the. That's probably the best way to go. So. All right. So we're gonna be right back. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back right for this. No one would have believed in the first years of the 21st century that Hammer films were being watched from an entertainment standpoint. No one could have dreamed that Amicus films were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered possibility that this area of film still had anything to offer. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this podcast with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against it. The Habakkus Podcast. Hammer and Amicus, and every tenuous link in between. Amicus.com and iTunes. Cheers.
All right, everybody, welcome back. We got um, our first film we're going to talk about here is a little movie that most of our listeners might be aware of. Um, seems kind of tailor-made for our community in a lot of ways, <laughs> to say the least. But it's a little film from uh, 2011 called Drive, directed by one Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, I guess I'll... So you want me to synopsize it then? I guess I'll go ahead and synopsize it. Sure, go for yeah, it. Yeah, okay. So uh, I never even actually read the synopsis to this film, so I'm kind of curious as to what it says. It says, uh, a mysterious Hollywood stuntman, mechanic, and getaway driver lands himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor. So... Yeah, it's pretty basic. It's kind of what it's all yeah. about. So, um, we've talked about this film a lot off the air. Will and I, uh, Dave picked this film. It, it was kind of like it's serendipity in a lot of ways because we've always kind of wanted to cover it on the show. We just kind of held off for a while. Um, Will, what did you think? I'll let you lead this review. What did you think on your revisit to Refn Country? Well, this was the third time I'd seen it. I'd seen it in the theaters. I'd seen it on the blue when I bought the blue about a month ago. And then now for the the episode, um, I have to say that this film healed me. And what I mean by that is I had a lot of back problems. I wasn't able to walk upright um, for a few months because I had a herniated disc. I went to see this in theaters right when we were recording our Deep Red review, ironically. I recorded in the theater parking lot. Yeah. And I went to see the theater. The next day I was walking normally again. So I think this film has the power to heal. Let me oh, just say that. Nice, nice. Um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the cast because we all have a lot to say about the film itself. So... I think we can say that it's a uniformly great cast. I'll maybe bring up some moments regarding um, some of the people as the film goes on. Um, so, I mean, you know, this film to me really, we said earlier on, six film we've done by Refn. Refn's a director whose um, work I think we all can agree we love. And um, this film is such a rarity to me when I try to think about the big picture of this film and the context of this film and where we are um, as not just as cinephiles, but as people that watch movies, because it's an art film that was a darling of the Cannes Film Festival that opened big, uh, shouldn't say open big, um, got a reasonably wide release considering the kind of film it was. Right, right. A very violent art film that's European and yet very 80s American at the same time and, and 70s American. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, was, so, it um, was a hit. It made uh, about $20 million. Opening weekend? Uh, well, I mean, I'm just going by what IMDb says. It costs about I think it made about 75. Yeah, they just, I'm saying they're saying the gross as of February 5th, 2012, is 35 million. Oh, that's a good in the USA. That. Now, that's not collectively. That's just the USA. So I guess maybe I'm just saying that the USA is all that counts. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it, I know it only costs 13 million to make. So I think yeah. that's again testament to the fact that a film that pretty much everyone that put a list out for our show last year, this film was on everyone's list. It's the only film. That was on everyone's list. Now, a lot of people hadn't seen The Skin I Live In, but this film was the darling of, of our circle and most people's circle, um, yeah. and for good reason. You know, it's, it's a director who, you know, clearly, let's, let's get the, the, he's indebted to Michael Mann, Walter Hill, who in turn are indebted to Jean-Pierre Melville and Japanese directors in film noir. We can get that out of the way. We know that. We know that this riffs on Thief. Yes. We know that riffs on uh, the Ryan O'Neill performance and the, Ryan, the minimalism of um, Walter Hill's driver. Right. So we can get that out of the way. Okay. Um, I I have to say in blue how incredible the LA skyline looks. Yeah, I totally agree. Oh, yeah, it, you know the format really. Um, when you see certain things, just a skyline shot, man. I mean, it, it just wows you, and it's really the format that, as cinephiles, it gives us the best opportunity to appreciate something we all love. And I think yeah. that's the simplest way I can I can put Blu-ray. It's so crisp that it's almost unbelievable to see. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's like moments that are literally somebody that's watched thousands of films on disc or home video. Uh, it, it literally, and some of the scenic shots, even some of the shots in the film, literally take my breath away. I was yeah. like, wow, can you believe that? I even I found myself rewinding the disc to look at cityscapes. I don't know if I've ever done that for any other film. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. And I do want to say, David, if we're blurting on and on and on, uh, just push in. Like, don't... Um, yeah. Don't... Yeah. Uh, just go, you remember, we do this every week, so sometimes we'll get going. Um, and- <laughs> it's, it's fine. Um, I, I have to totally agree, and this is one of the few Blu-rays that did genuinely blow me away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean that the, the opening with the the cityscapes. I mean, it's almost uh, you know Blade Runner in its yeah. scope. And um, I mean, looking at my notes here, <laughs> being a storyboard artist, I've even I've got little thumbnails sketched here because this is the the I think the fifth time I've watched this. And I thought, what, what am I going to do? I even need to watch it again if I'm going to talk about it. But every time I picked up something new from it, and this time I was looking at the shots and thinking, fuck. Yeah. That, that, some exquisite, you know, cinematography, framing, composition. Some of the shots in it are, are so perfect that, you know, I've got little thumbnails here that I've scribbled out saying, fuck, look at that shot. And, uh, it, it looks stunning. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. That's something I hadn't really noticed the first two times I watched it is the shot composition, which every film I've seen of Reffens, early on, his stuff's been a little bit rougher, but. We've compared him to Kubrick a little bit. His um, ability to frame a shot perfectly is, he's amongst the best in the business for that. Yeah. And when I was looking at this film through a critical eye, I really noticed that this time. Yeah. And it almost feels like, and not in a way that um, is sort of showy, but I love how he fetishizes and makes everything cool in the film to the point where we as a viewers are like, oh man, that is so fucking cool. Like everything from the jacket to the gloves to, to I, I, I want despite being now 32 and not as cool as I, I thought I once was, I want uh, the driver's oh, oh, wardrobe despite oh, yeah, yeah. not being practical in any capacity for me anymore. I knew you were going to go for the scorpion jacket. <laughs> Dude, I contemplated buying one and I thought, because I, I, I remember I wrote something on Facebook. I was like, despite driving a minivan and, and a wagon, I want the jacket. Between you and, Pic- you and Piccolo, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Speaking of costume, this- does he wear a Canadian tuxedo at one point in film? Oh yeah, yes, and, he does. and it, it reignited my every summer, every spring. I, I reignites my love with the Canadian tuxedo, and I'm going to go out and get a, a jean jacket comparable to this one. Sweet. I think it's uh, I think it's black black jean pants and a blue. So it's not. I guess it's not totally not Canadian. quite tuxedo, but quite, it, it's close. It's close, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, everything is fetishized in, yeah. in, in a way. Like, is that's not showy. Some directors do it in a way. Look at me. Look what I look what I'm. I can do. I know cool, and it just it's it's effortless. With well, reference. well, yeah. Reffin has a certain way. He's he's unique in some ways. He the reason why I believe Reffin has a serious amount of talent, and I don't. I, it wasn't this film that opened my eyes to that. It's the films before, but his use of violence is up there with some of the great filmmakers of all time. Yes. He shoots violence. Maybe right now he might shoot violence maybe better than anybody working right now. He has this way, and you said fetishize, and he'll say that in a lot of interviews and stuff, that he's a fetish-type fetish, fetish type filmmaker, that he gets obsessed with small things, be it gloves, be it a strand of hair, be it anything. Well, those little details are what makes him a special filmmaker. The, a lot of the filmmakers that are special get obsessed with the small details 
there's not a lot of dialogue in this film. I mean, there's a good deal, but there's not a lot of dialogue in this film. And there doesn't need to be because everything is told in the face and in body movement and in wardrobe. All that stuff. And the lighting. Yes. He uses everything at his disposal to tell the story. It's not, um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, exposition yeah. to tell everything. He uses all the tools and craft of a filmmaker to tell his story. I mean, from, from my point of view, I, I spend my life, my working life, interpreting words on a page into pictures. Yes. And I'm... and. I would show this movie, anyone that wants to be a storyboard artist or a cinematographer, anything that media, they, they must watch this film because the information he gets into a frame is incredible. I mean, there's a shot. The first time he goes to um, Kerry Mulligan's apartment, there's a mirror shot. Oh, yes. I took a VLC snapshot of that. Sorry to cut you off. I mean, talk about the, the doing so much with so little that you have her against the wall with the mirror next to her with Gosling reflected in the mirror and then a photo mm-hmm. stuck in the corner of the mirror of, of her and Standard and the kid. And that shot says so much. Yes. In that one shot, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it says everything. It tells like 10 pages of screenplay story, of, of exposition. It tells it like within like three yeah. minutes. You could spend hours analyzing that one shot. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty brilliant. And it's not, it's not hit you over the head uh, like hey, like Will said, it's not like hey, look what I'm setting up here. Look what I'm showing you. Hey, you know, look at me. Look what I can do. It's not like that. It's very subtle. It's so subtle that the first time I saw the film, I didn't even recognize it. The second no. and third time I've seen the film now, I've become almost obsessed with that that scene. Yeah. In some ways. And, and as you said, there's hardly any dialogue. They're they're all. It's, it's just a look. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, body language, and um, it's incredible. Yeah, no, it really, really is, and and that's uh, I'm glad because I found myself because I watched this at work this time, and I had to use the VLC player, and I I usually take away oh, you know, seven, eight, nine screenshots of cool things I find in a film. I took fifty plus screenshots. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane, and it's a film I've seen twice before, and I'm still kind of blown away from it, and you know, it's just great. I mean, God, I was like, I was just so so many notes, and like I said, I'm gonna really try to solve it because I really believe. We could spend a whole episode, and I'm talking an old school GGT episode, which is three hours, <laughs> just talking about this film. I mean, it's it's that good, and yeah, you know, yeah. I, I love that early on we get his code in the opening. I think five minutes, his his code that he lives by, uh, especially uh, well <laughs> that he he works by. Yeah, I almost opened the show with that code. Yeah, but I thought it was kind of funnier to open the show with Stephen King saying, "This machine just called me an asshole." Yeah, that's exactly, exactly. No, that was a good. A good the opening of this movie again is, is another masterclass in economy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know we've all read about the movie, its development, and the kind of movie that it was going to be before Refn and Gosling got involved. Right, how mm-hmm. that film would have been, and once the budget was cut down, and but this. It's so lean. The precision, everything is is a masterclass yeah, yeah. in economy. Yeah. And you know, exactly. we don't really talk about like certain things. We don't like make lists and stuff like a lot of podcasts. But for me, openings for films are are like very critical because, especially the older I get and the more busy my life becomes, I need a film to suck me in quick. Yeah, yeah. And this film, the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh fuck me, this fucker's got me. I'm not going to stop." I mean. 
I never paused it. I didn't pause it this time either, it should be said. I, I've never paused this film once. I've just let this thing flow over me like water. Because it's that kind of movie. It's very rhythmic. It's very it's very subtle. It feels very, it, it just for me as a fan of this type of material, it just feels really really good while it's playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost hypnotic. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And we get balaclavas. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so, it's, it's sadly it's not Zadar and Silva, but you know you can't have it all. Well, if it would have been, we would have known it. Yeah, we would have certainly known it. <laughs> um, you know what I love too? The Refn makes the right decisions. And he has the confidence now, having been a filmmaker for as long as he has. Um, instead of that opening um, heist mm. being this adrenaline-packed, balls to the wall, they ramp something, they go through a billboard. It's yeah. cat and mouse. It's not chase. It's brilliant at manufacturing tension, uh, and it's, it's brilliant in its restraint. Because it's more nerve-wracking when he rolls down an alleyway and the helicopter lights come. And I mean, it's just... It's so fantastically tense without, you know, you don't need to turn everything up to 11 all the time. Yeah, no, it's, and you know what, it's a roller coaster too. There's so many great moments of Ryan Gosling sitting still and looking and you're feeling what he is feeling. The helicopter in particular, I'm thinking about off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. He's watching that helicopter and you know, I know, most of us know something might happen and he knows. So he's mm-hmm. watching, he's watching, he's watching. You know, he's not doing anything that's going to draw any attention to himself. But as soon as it does, you know, we get the great sound of the motor. Yeah, you know, we get that Which great the sound design. It's great in this yeah. film, and we get that great sound. And it should be said, the car I rented to go to Horhound Columbus was that exact model. No, <laughs> I should I should have wore some brown yellow uh, brown leather gloves and uh, a scorpion jacket up there, huh? <laughs> I messed up on that one, man. Damn, I had an opportunity there. You did. You totally did. <laughs> Get out and just not say anything to anybody. Just kind of smirk and smile. Just have a to- you, you come up to you come up to uh, Zom. You say uh, you want a mat- no, want a toothpick. Yeah, you want a toothpick? So let's, let's have a staring contest. You blinked. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean that opening. I mean, I'm not kidding. I could I could watch that opening like every day. It's so good. It's one of those films that when you see that opening, you're like, oh my god, I'm watching something incredible, and it just. It, it's the kind of thing we live for as cinephiles because it means that we are in good hands and we know that for the next hour and 40 we are going to be fine we're going to be we're just going to constantly be just elated at what we're seeing right. when I, I remember first seeing it and uh, I think yeah within five minutes it was like holy shit this guy has made a movie just for me yeah yeah he's made a movie for, for me you know yeah. it was Amazing. And that's, and that's a- the mark of, of a talented filmmaker is that every it feels personal to you, to me, to Sammy, clearly to Piccolo, yeah. <laughs> to everyone. I wanted to put in a little part where I play some music and go, I saw a movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that, I think, you know, we have these as film geeks, cinephiles, whatever you want to call us, I think you have these films that come along like this every now and then. I mean, I, I can think of like Kill Bill and I can think of these films that just, you know, they just, like I say, they just make you feel good. Uh, Kill Bill in a different way than this, obviously, but yeah. similar. These these fetishistic filmmakers, the way they kind of just speak to us that you know that they speak our language. It's kind of like an unspoken language, except for you know podcasting and stuff. But among friends and stuff, it's like this unspoken language of cinema. I mean, I know David. I'm sure you have this experience with people you talk to and stuff, friends of yours. Yeah. But I know Will and I sometimes we'll get to talking about something, man, and we'll just get so excited. And we, we can't even stop saying the word yeah. We'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we just we can't. We just and, and my wife has seen this firsthand. She's seen us together and she's like she's like, Why do you guys say yeah, yeah all the time? And we we, we had no we, we have no excuse. 
It's just no. that we get so excited talking about this stuff, type of stuff that we, we can't control ourselves. And I remember I saw this movie by myself. So I remember thinking, God, I wish I could have somebody with me right now who appreciates this as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was very true. Um, I'm so glad as an aside. I love the pink credits. I mean, they're just so perfect. I mean, they're just so perfect. Mm-hmm. Film. But never takes a shirt off because so many bullshit Hollywood directors do that thing where I gotta give the ladies something and I'm just glad the ref and doesn't doesn't do that because you know listen Gosling's great and all but it just doesn't it doesn't need that and I'm so glad it doesn't because if this had been the who was it it was Hugh Jackman and I want to no, it wasn't Tony Scott was it Ridley no maybe I'm wrong it was Hugh, Hugh Jackman pardon me Neil Marshall. Yeah, Neil Marshall, Hugh Jackman, which would have been a completely different beast altogether. And I like Marshall, but I can't. And I like Jackman, but I just, it, I, I'm glad it wasn't that film. But, um, you know, so many great things that Gosling does in this, with his performance. For example, there's the moment when Cranston's talking to him on the set of the film that um, Gosling's stunt driving for. And he says to him, you know, I know exactly you what you're going to say. I know exactly the moment you're talking about without you even saying you it. Do okay. <laughs> Let's see here. Because you got to do this flip and then you get 500 extra. But he goes, Of course, I get 250. Yeah. And it's the knowing smirk. Yeah. He does a little that hand awesome. movement too. He's waiting for it. He's like, And yeah. there it is. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, this is a guy that sometimes I think people mistake him almost for an idiot savant or they underestimate him. But a lot of times it's because he knows what's going on. He chooses. To just let things be as they are, because in the grand scheme of things, he knows Cranston's Shannon character is is more good than bad to him, and yeah, okay, fine, he can have his little thing, and and so be it. And it just, I love. There's a few times this one with knowing smirks and looks, and like um, Dave was talking about the economy, not only of the filmmaking, but the of the performances that less is more, and we get so much yeah. more right. from those little things. Right. You know, you know, this gets compared a lot to. Uh, Ryan O'Neill's performance in The Driver, but I... This is way better. I see... Uh, yeah, it's better. But I see a lot of parallels to, in this performance to his and Steve McQueen's in Bullet. Oh, totally. Because Bullet is a good example of an actor who... You know, Steve McQueen, I've read a lot about him. He was a big fan of you can act with your face much more than you can with dialogue. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why, you know, he's always been known as like the king of cool, right? Because he would always, you know, cut... There's like so many scenes in Bullet where I read in a book of, on him or something that there was so much dialogue between him and other characters. He thought, you know, why, why do we need to talk? I can give you that all of that in one look, and I can drink a cup of milk. And I guarantee you it'll say more than me saying all that stuff. Yeah, a five-minute uh, monologue. And that's the same thing with, with uh, Gosling. There's, you know, scenes where he's just drinking out of a coffee cup and, or even just a toothpick or just standing in an elevator. And, yeah, it is cool. But at the same time, he's saying a lot without saying anything. The posture, it's really, it really in a lot of ways, it's the most genius form of acting because you're not relying on somebody else's words. You're relying completely on your, your features. That's right. It's almost like silent I mean, film acting or something, right? Yeah. yeah, I've written down here, Eastwood, Bronson, McQueen. Yeah, that's, what, yeah, it's, that's what it's like. Yeah. No, it definitely is. Um a very doing. young version of all three of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many things I picked up on this viewing, too. Like the fact that he tells her at one point that he works at a garage on Reseda Boulevard, and then she shows up there later on. Yeah. I almost thought that was serendipity, and now I kind of feel like it was by design. Yeah. 
and and just little things like that, little things like I didn't see the shot of the driver, the star of the film, and the other one, and some of the little things we'll talk about as we go along. But I like that you can get a lot from a viewing, um, multiple viewings of a film. So mm-hmm. it, it's just really great. Um, I love uh, actually never mind. That's just a kind of great, great in the sense of it's, it's this kind of snappy blue um, dialogue with Brooks and Perlman uh, when when we first see Perlman talking about eating. Uh, yeah. Chink food, as yeah. he says, in my fucking restaurant. He goes, well, what's a Jew doing running a pizzeria? And just, they're almost like an old married couple in a yeah, way. Yeah. If I, if I have any qualms about any performances, I feel like, even though I like Ron Perlman, because I think he's, you know, one of those rarities in Hollywood that he's this, uh, this odd looking dude. I don't think he's ever used quite correctly. I think that you could use him a lot better because he's got such a unique face and stuff. But uh, I do have some issues with his kind of over performance in some spots. Do you? I don't at all. I think it works because I think that's the kind of person his character is. Well, I mean, he's a big actor anyway, right? Not just physically, but usually in his films, you know, he's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really outgoing and, and really loud. And and I don't have a problem with that in the most times. But that, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't have a big time problem with that in this film. I still like it a lot. I just don't like Perlman as much in this film as I've liked him with some other stuff. Right, right. Okay. That's the, the stuff between him and Brooks is really great, though. And it should be said, I got a note here. I might as well go over it right now. If you would have told me that I would have found Albert Brooks intimidating in any way, shape, or form five years ago, I would have told you you're insane. Tell me about it. He is so creepy and evil oh, in this film in a subtle way. Yeah. In some ways, he's just like the perfect counterpart to Ryan Gosling's character because he, he doesn't do anything like really big. And hit the scene with him and Cranston, there's a, I don't want to give it away in case anybody hasn't seen it. I think most of our listeners has, but the little moment where there's like, shh, it's over, it's over, it's over, just take it easy. Yeah, I know. So, so cl- a classic reffin, you know? Yeah. How he can be so, like, um, com- like, not comforting, but the way he, he, it's just kind of almost the way someone would comfort someone. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it's not comforting. There's nothing <laughs> comforting about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I love the awkward and you know in moments when you can feel the awkwardness. Like there's the awkward non-handshake with Bernie and um, and the driver, and uh, he says, "Well, my hands were a little dirty." And then of course we get the foreboding sore mine. Yeah, line. It's just it's, like, it's very awkward, and yeah. I love that that we can we can feel the awkwardness of of a of a character of a moment in a film this well. It's my favorite exchange in the movie. It's like so. It's like so perfect. Uh, two lines of dialogue. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. It says everything about the whole. Re- Again, it's another one of those moments. It says everything about the whole relationship. Yep. Um, uh, what's her name? Oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, I was going to call her Michelle Williams. Um, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. I, I was, was going to say Michelle Williams would have been good in this role too, because they're actresses that use their eyes a lot and can convey a lot with their eyes. And Carrie Mulligan has a weariness and a sadness. Yeah. And at times, a very, very faint glimmer. It's almost like an ember. When she's with Gosling's character, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like it's not much, but there's this little glimmer there, and it's really great. Like I love when they're kind of bubbling with excitement. Um, when some of their exchanges, when they're they're with each other and and stuff. And I got to say that that basin or whatever it is that, that he takes them for a uh, drive in. I know on Sylvan Gold they call it the L.A. Crick or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but yeah, that's been in every film ever. Man. It gives me chills that scene with with, with the real hero song. Oh yeah. Uh, and there's another thing I like about it, their relationship in the movie. There's no gratuitous sex scene. There's none of that. There's, there's tension in, in other ways. And that scene is just well, that music. Yeah. Perfect of, of, of image and sound. And 
with no dialogue. You know, essentially, it's a montage. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's it's a, it's a... skipping stones in a river, which sounds <laughs> so cheesy, but it just works. <laughs> I know, I know. Him skipping stones in the river is equivalent to Prince skipping stones in Lake Minnetonka, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except he, like uh, like Minnetonka, you get a couple of nice, uh, nice little visitors from Apollonia. So, oh yeah, no, uh, I, I was going to say that too. It's such an '80s esque montage, except without comedy. It, but yes. it, it reminds me of '80s cinema so much. It this, does, but it's still so genuine. Though. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. There's no, there's no cheekiness to it at all. It's it, even I, it. I'll, I'll take it this far. I didn't even realize it was a montage until I watched it this time. So it totally blew past me that it was a montage because that's essentially what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's an '80s montage. Yeah, it's almost like a training sequence. You know, we talk about them all the time on the show. Oh, totally. So it's pretty amazing that I saw it this time around. Like Will was saying, I actually paid attention to the actor who's he's supposed to be doubling this time around. I was like, oh, okay, well the mask did work. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, again, going back to the shots thing, that shot again, another fantastic shot, which starts on one of those makeup mirrors on the actor's side with him looking in the mirror and then tracks around and Gosling basically replaces the image that was in the mirror and then puts the mask on it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he becomes the reflection. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah, there's a lot of great moments of that too. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I liked it when I looked at this, the scene when they're, they're by the river, like the actual river, not the LA Creek as Sylvan Gold calls it. When they're with nature, it's almost like it's this brief, step away from concrete and metal for Gosling because his guard's down and he feels comfortable in the warmth of Mother Earth when with this woman and this child. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this, but do you think that the jacket is a nod to Stuntman Mike? <sighs> I think it's an ode to Stuntman Mike a little bit, but maybe more like... It the, looks so much like his jacket. Yeah, it does, but it almost feels to me like more like an ode to the Bandit in some weird way. I don't know why, even though they have nothing yeah. in common, the Bandit is red, and it's almost looks like a members-only jacket. <laughs> uh, I just feel like anybody that drives a car in a cool way has to have a cool have jacket. A cool jacket. Yeah, yeah that's it's, fair. It's like essential. So I think it's like all a reference... I think it's like his interpretation of American... Anti-heroes yeah. in a lot of ways. You know what I'm okay. saying? They have to have yeah. that jacket. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know they talked about it being anger. Anger's loose for rising, being a a, a visual influence. But I just, I, I've always, you know, it was an immediate wonder when I first saw the film. So it was my uh, first thought. My first thought was Stuntman Mike. Yeah, I love uh, Perlman. He's such like, a, like such a almost like a <laughs> like a gangster piece of trash when he sees <laughs> he goes into uh, the the Shannon's shop and he's like, "That's one fine ass pussy mobile, motherfucker." <laughs> He just the way he comes in and he does this little strut and he's just yeah. such a loudmouth asshole yeah. and he has got to have the longest teeth of any human being ever born. Yeah, his front teeth are as long as my middle finger. It seems it's like they're probably they're, true. They're bizarre looking. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, it gives him this great look. I mean, he's got a great unique look. Nobody can ever argue that Ron Perlman's not one of the more. I mean, like I think he would have fit in great in like Italian cinema back in the day. Oh, totally. Are the Coens? I'm surprised the Coen, have the Coens ever used them. I don't think they have. No, I don't think they have. Hmm. They'll be using Carrie yeah. Mulligan soon. The, the guy, the guy loves his ribs. There's a little, there's a little bit of tip, tip it for you. Mutant Chronicles, 2006, Shepperton Studios. I think he must have eaten ribs every fucking day. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, I, I forgot you've actually been, a, you've been around Ron Perlman. Yeah, dude loves his ribs. <laughs> nice, nice. That's that's pretty awesome. That's a, that's a nice little. Those are the little things I love to hear about the most. I don't want to hear about who's dating who. 
I just want to hear if Ron Perlman likes ribs. <laughs> he loves ribs. Nice. That's awesome. Um, that's, how, that's how he gets his teeth like that. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you got teeth like that, you should love ribs. He could probably fucking chew the bone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like we you know, a lot has been made and written and said about Brooks's frightening nature, and of course I agree with that. But I also feel like he's the right amount of dorky old man too at times. Like he's an awkward dorky old man sometimes when he's like, "I'm excited about the, my name on the car," and yeah, yeah, you know, just some of the stuff where he tries to almost be like he. That's the point moments when he's dorky, and they're just pitch perfect. You know, it, it, it's that thing of fleshing him out, and further than that. Someone who I don't hear anyone speak about when they talk about this film, um, and I love him in this film, is Oscar Isaac as standard. Because I think he's well-written, he's well-acted, I think he's fleshed out. When I first saw that character, I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, the shithead, sort of like the the lower-tier villain of the film. The afterthought villain of the mm-hmm. film. And it's completely not that way. He's the kind of character that you you sympathize so much because he's in a hopeless, desperate situation, and he's not really a bad guy. And... I just, I think Oscar Isaac, he was actually, I never said this, he was my favorite part of Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch as well. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I, I did, I, I did was, like him in Sucker Punch. Yeah. So, I mean, between that and that, I think that's, he did a good job with this performance. Well, I like his character a lot too. And I think we can all kind of relate to this as fathers. There's, there's a, there's a sadness to his character. He oh, ma- a hopeless. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. And he makes some bad, bad decisions, right? He's, he's got himself into some bad spots and, Ultimately, you, you kind of feel like, you know, he's trying to do right by his kid and, you know, you feel for him in some ways. I mean, obviously, he's a bit of an idiot, too. But, yeah, you know, a bit of a screw up. aren't we all in some ways? I mean, you could argue. I mean, you know, my interpretation of that character, you know, I know people like that. They do anything for their kid. They're still great dads, but they do some stupid fucking shit. So, you know, I mean, this is a human fallacy. But I, I find it very interesting that that character has that much depth in this film because, like you said, He's easily could have just been thrown in. And I like the way Gosling handles him, too. He doesn't... Oh, totally. He's a gentleman about it, without mm-hmm. being, like, overtly showy gentleman. Like, he, he's... Res- I would say better than gentleman. He's respectful of the situation. Yeah. He understands what could go wrong. You can see in his face that he understands, whoa, this could go bad. I'm going to chill a little bit. This could get ugly. I'm going to respect the situation. Hello? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're here. Oh, you just said could go bad. That was the end of your sentence. Oh, it like sorry. You're about to roll on. I made a cut. I said no. I said he just respects the situation. It could go bad. He knows that, but he respects the situation. Yes. Um, and I'm not talking about the guy from Jersey Shore. <laughs> uh, Gosling is very much like a shark in this film. I've heard people say that, and I feel like the moment with the bullet, and you just know he's seething when he sees that bullet. There's a reveal. I don't want to spoil that scene because people haven't seen it. But you know, he says, "Who gave this to you?" And oh my God, it's like. Oh, it just you can tell he's seething and you just know things are just going to get mangled. Someone's just going to get fucked up for this. You, see, you know, my logic with and, you know, and I may be talking a lot here, but I'm kind of going through my notes as we're talking. My logic yeah. with Gosling's character, the reason why he gives you his code is because I think his character has a lot of rage issues. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's pretty obvious in the movie uh, at yes. some points. I think that he wants to stay separate from so much because of his rage. Like he wants to. He's stuck in a situation where he does what he does, but he wants to be distant from it too because he can so easily fall into this violent individual that I don't think he likes that he is. Yeah. So well, again, he even, he even says there's this scene when he's watching the cartoons with the kids, and, yes. uh, and he says, "There's no good sharks?" Question mark. Yeah. And is it? And then he says, "Does he look like a good guy to you?" 
Okay, a great, great line. You know, it's so no- great, and that's when I only realized on this viewing, David, was how great that moment was in the context of his character and him processing his place in the grand scheme of things. There's so many moments like that, and the, the first time, something I hadn't noticed before, when he goes to the supermarket, he bumps, he sees Carrie Mulligan with a kid, and he, he comes out, and you track out, and they're in the, the parking lot. Mm-hmm. It's this weird pause where he stops by his car, and he just stops dead for like a really uncomfortable moment. And you don't see why, and then he moves off, and you see him go to the car to help her because her car's broken down. Yeah, and it's like he's kind of—you can, without saying anything or doing anything—you can hear the dialogue in his head. He's almost saying to himself, "Do I really want to do this? This, this—like he knows that this can only go wrong. If I, if I take this step now and go over and help her, is this—you know—am I taking the first step on a path I want to go down?" Mm-hmm. And it's—it's. It's, Again, fantastic. Yeah, it definitely is. And the, I want to say that the, the one, I think the one big chase in this with the 300, and I like that they use American cars in this film. Um, and I'm not like, I, I'm a bit of a gearhead, but not not that much. And it's not that I, I, I like European cars. I like Japanese and uh, Japanese cars as well. But I like that this film is American cars because it's very much an American film. As much as it's European in a lot of its... Um, uh, well, I, read, I read that Refn doesn't even have a driving license. Yeah. Yeah, it's a total ironic. But but um, I feel like his car shots—they're totally influenced by the world reference would be influenced, which is probably cinema. I mean, oh, there's a lot of yeah. moments in here that you can you, you can see you're Yates. taken out of yeah Yates, uh, even Hal Needham films. Yeah, you can yeah you oh can totally see, you can see it all in here. Some of that rear view stuff, yeah. That driving backwards moment—I mean, that's straight out of Hooper almost. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't think they had a gun in Hooper. I think they just act like assholes. <laughs> uh, there's an exploding head in this that Revoc and Scanners would be proud of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say too much, man, but talk about wigs getting split. Yeah. And that's just an insane scene. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it in detail because we, I think we've summed it up by saying no one or arguably no one does violence um, like Refn does. I mean, it, shower pipes to throats. and Yeah. It's, it's a great moment of beauty and violence mixed together. Yeah, because there's a beautiful moment right before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what makes it all the more powerful. The violence in this has such a massive impact because of the build-up. You know, mm-hmm. the quiet, 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 loud. You know, and you know what? Yes. It, it to me, it's almost like he's apologizing before he knows the inevitable what's getting ready to happen. So he's going to apologize to her, and he doesn't want to say it. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of films, you know, there might be a cool character goes, "Yo, honey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I got to do this." Mm-hmm. You know well, that was really bad. I don't know what accent that was, but anyway, the uh, you know. It, but he does it in this slow motion kiss. That's kind of it, it's very gorgeous. It's one oh, we're talking about that scene. Okay, let me tell you about that scene. I'm going to say it right now because we're talking about it. That is my favorite scene in the film. That has become one of my favorite scenes in any film that I've seen in in a very 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 long time. And I realized this on my second viewing. There is a moment when I watch this now, and as the elevator door opens, the light from the elevator door opening hits his face and you see a tear coming down his face as he's talking. Yeah. And it's subtle enough that again it's not this kind of maudlin weepy thing. It's it's just he can't help at this point but but show that shred of emotion. And when he puts her behind him and he shields her in this instance, it's very much a cinematic moment because the lights dim this kind of the soft spotlight on her more so than him. It's it's that thing that De Palma does and Tarantino does and our filmmakers we love do, and that is they they don't need to keep it ultra realistic all the time. It's very cinematic, and that scene, you know, he allows himself that one moment, that kiss, and that that's it. And 
oh, it's just that scene is so incredible. And that's not even my favorite part of the scene. It goes on to a moment that he actually went to see Gaspar in a way for because he wanted to know how to destroy a head properly. <laughs> well, I he think there's probably cinema. nobody better in cinema to go to. <laughs> so he went to no way for the for the head destruction. And here's the moment I love in that scene. And it's so odd that I use this word because I was looking to find some other background information about the film. When she gets out of the elevator and he turns around, he's almost hunkered over and he's got blood on his face and he looks almost like a werewolf. Yeah, That's yeah. the word I thought of. I thought of a werewolf because his back's kind of hunkered over. And it's that moment of realization when he sees her face that is my favorite moment in the film. Yeah, it's a good and, moment. And the doors slowly close. And the word werewolf kept sticking in my head. And I, I oddly, when I looked at some research for the film, I saw that Refn, um envisioned the same thing, a quote-unquote werewolf, a beast. Yeah. So I just thought that was really odd. Well, it was, it, it, it goes back to what I always, you know, why I like werewolf films so much is I like that 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 savage that's inside all of us. I mean, I mean, I was a young kid at one point in time. I hit people that I shouldn't have hit. I'll just mm -hmm. say, I'll just say that without going into any details. I've punched other kids in the face that I should have never hit. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't explain it, but it just felt like the right thing to do at that time. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. No, but, no, I know what you mean. But there's this, there's the, in a male, there's this like this this rage component that I don't think females have. At least I don't think most females have. And that's always kind of been my fascination with the werewolf mythology: is this man versus beast thing. Mm -hmm. You know, how close yeah. are we every day to falling into our most primal state? It's a primal thing, and then there's a shot in there where he cuts to Gosling's back. And the way he's he's breathing heavily, and the scorpion on the back of the jacket yeah. is almost breathing and pulsing. It's yeah. great. It's so good. And here's an Easter egg I found this time. You know what? I got to really jump off one of those guys because I could keep going. I know you guys have to still go. We still have another film to talk about. Here's an Easter egg I found. You know, I love I love the marquee bulbs. Whenever he gets a chance to use marquee bulbs, the way they're lit perfectly, because this film is lit perfectly. Yeah. I know the marquee bulbs look lit perfectly, but when he's walking back to get his mask before he goes to see Ron Perlman, mm -hmm. if yeah. you look on our right-hand side, his left, there's two yeah. prosthetic heads. Um, those prosthetic heads are the Christina Hendricks prosthetic heads. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is just a fantastic Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. I just, I love that. And my last thing I want to say, actually two very quickly things. I, I thought it was Etta Del Orso, but it was actually um, Tatiana Ranieri, who was um, Riz Orlani's wife. And leave it to Refn to use a piece of music from Adio Zio Tom in his film, which yeah. is fantastic. But um, the last thing I want to say is I love the moment at the end when he starts the car, just before he starts the car, and there's that moment of him looking. And I don't want to say too much of what's happening about him. It's a moment of reflection for him, and, and the car sort of goes into the night. I just... Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think the ending of this film is brilliant. I think it's the only way it could have ended for me. I mean, mm -hmm. for me personally, I think it's the perfect ending. Yeah. I mean, I know they could have went another way, but I'm so glad they didn't go that way. Yeah. I have to jump in here and say that the, the elevator scene, for me, is the only moment, that my one gripe with the movie. Is it? I think... Because it's No, because it's so beautiful and so perfect, the, the, the head stomp itself... I think it was the only point when he went too far. Too far. I could see that. That's a valid criticism, I think. I think yeah. he overstepped the mark there. And I've since heard sort of behind-the-scenes info that there was a lot more to that. The prosthetic head and the gag didn't quite work. That's why it's cut back to literally one shot. And I just thought, if you're going to do it, do it. Or don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. 
and it's like he put a little bit of it in, in there and it looks like a, a dummy and I don't know it took me out of the movie yeah that's fair he went too far with that yeah. my, my thing was more I agree with the violence but it was the moment uh, preceding and following the head stomp and we you know we, you talk about Gaspar Noe I've, I've seen that done uh, uh, frankly a lot better in Irreversible mm-hmm The head smashing in Irreversible is so effective. I don't know if it's the lead up to that head smashing. And it's the sound. The sound and the the disoriented camera work or whatever, you know, the Gaspar Noe camera work. We might as well call it that now because that's what it is at this point after seeing three of his films. I think it's argued argued that it's his style. Mm -hmm. Uh, That one, when I first saw that, literally made me physically ill. Yeah. Because it's so rough, and there's a moment where the character's head is, the character's hands are quivering. Yeah, they're still alive, and that's the moment that makes it exponentially worse. And it, yeah, and it's so disgusting, and so primal, and so, even though it's obviously CGI in so many ways, it feels so, oh, I don't know, I don't even know, I mean, I'll save that if we ever do a review of Irreversible, which I'm sure we will, but. It was uh, a mix of practical and CGI, which made yeah. it so perfect. It was, yeah, I, even, even when I think about it now, it makes me physically ill. It just really bothered me. Even though that guy, you know, that guy was a fucking prick. I don't know if he <laughs> deserved to go out that way. Anyway, of course, if you go to a club called the Anus, what is it? What was it called? The Rectum. The Rectum. Hardly knew him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know who <laughs> wants to. I, I mostly I covered all of my stuff in the film. Uh, I think if you watch this film with uh, the sound down, you can almost watch it as like this. Gosling almost looks like a weird kind of porn star. In some weird ways, I was He's thinking so that. Perfect for the film. Yeah, He's I know. Just so perfect, the right mix of macho without being over the top, the right amount of just everything. He's just perfect. And I won't. So glad. Yeah, and I won't go into the behind the scenes stuff because if if you want to watch what uh, Winding Reference interview on the disc, it's really great. The story behind this film is is almost as interesting as the film itself. Mm-hmm. It's like this really weird mix of like what the how the hell did they come up with this out of all the stuff that happened. And and Refings is a, he's he's a reference he's a natural storyteller even when he talks about his personal life he he talks about that about being away from his children about having a high fever and he had taken these medicines and he's in America he's riding through L A with uh, Santa Monica with Ryan Gosling in the car and Ario Speedwagon comes on he has a breakdown <laughs> yeah. in front of Ryan Gosling <laughs> you know it's like and and somehow some way out of all of that comes this nice little gem of a film and I, it, it just amazes me sometimes. The way that happens. It was like it was meant to be. That's all I really got on my end. Dave, if you got some more stuff you'd like to add to it. Uh, just looking at my notes again here. Um, I think you've pretty much covered it. Um, no, that's about it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, oh. it, it, so I, I do agree with you, Will. I mean, I think we could spend three hours talking about this film. We could. Well, I, I cut down about two or three pages. I know you guys did. I mean, I'll just, we, we I'll just I mean, you pretty much cut. I could talk. I could literally talk for days about it, but there's no point. We're just going insane. I, I do want to say, just as an aside, I'm glad you picked this film, Dave, because someone who works in and, and has has a craft uh, that pertains to the, the the craft of filmmaking. I'm really glad you chose it because this is a great film for people that appreciate the craft of filmmaking to sink their teeth into. So I think to see your words on it and your analysis as a cinephile and someone who works in the craft is is very cool. Well, I think I think the other thing that really spoke to me was personally, I don't know, I'm kind of sick. I'm kind of sick of CGI. I know everybody says this and it has its place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I'm so sick of giant robots fighting and and. Yeah. Blockbusters being a, a visual effects show, real, yeah. and getting back to to, to real filmmaking. Yeah, 
I think what you're talking about is what I'm going through. I'm going through a really bad phase right now where comic book films are not working for me anymore. And uh, whether it's age, age, I don't know. But I just it just doesn't do anything for me anymore. And then something like this comes along, and you know, just just completely blows me away by yeah. by doing none of that, by doing right. almost doing the opposite. You know, that's right. No. It just it just totally connected, really, really connected. Yeah. And I and I have to admit, I have a confession to make. I am not a Nicholas Winding Refn fan. Ooh, wow. Hey, you're right. Do you not like any of his films other than this one? I, 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 the, the first movie I saw of his was Fear X. I've never seen it. That's oh, the only one yeah, I haven't seen. It's the only one of his I think I haven't seen. I saw it at Fright Fest when it, when it first came out, and I almost walked out. And, <laughs> and he came on and did the Q&A afterwards, and I just thought he and the film were the most pretentious, <laughs> the most pretentious, <laughs> arrogant. Oh, man. You know, it's the same reason that I... Fucking hate Lars von Trier. Oh well, okay. <laughs> I fucking hate Lars von Trier. The, Dane, uh, the Danes really rub you the wrong way. Oh man, man. So, I, I'm, uh, Rising, forget it, forget it. Yeah, you know, Valhalla Rising is a weird experience. We, me and Will, saw that film together, and uh, with Mickelson and Refn there. Yeah, and after watching it, I didn't know what I really thought of it, and then I came home and from Toronto, and I thought, man, I really didn't like that film, and I'm upset. And then for about a month later, I thought about it, and I'm like, man, I really like that film. Why? I don't know why. And I still can't really explain to you why I like it. Um, but uh, I, I do. I, I just don't, I don't understand. Did you, see the, uh, did you see the Pusher films, or did you see, uh, what's the other one, Bronson? Uh, I've seen the first Pusher movie, and Bronson was okay. Okay. It was okay. Pusher um, 2 I and 3, you, I think you might like if you haven't seen them. But, but now, since... But now I'm going to go back and watch them all again because awesome. I think Refn has really, really come into his own with this yeah. movie. And I have a whole new perspective <laughs> on everything. And I've got to go back and watch them again. Yeah, I still don't know if you'll dig Valhalla Rising. I think that might be a or, mood or film. Or Bronson, for that matter. <laughs> but the Pusher films, I think you could definitely get behind, man. And I'm really curious. Once you see them again, let us know what you think. I'm very yeah. curious now. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 must, I must revisit. And now I have a new... Perspective on things. I can say this. I can see a lot of Bronson and Valhalla Rising. I can see a lot of what he was doing working up to this. Yes. I can see a lot of that. So, I mean, that's just, you know, being a fan and everything, I can see a lot of it. Uh, but again, I totally understand that stance. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'll never understand people's uh, love of uh, who, who, do I, who do I, I don't really. I'm, I'd always talk about a director, and well, I never. We, really, we've pulled you out of the closet with your "quote unquote" hate of Argento. Yeah, I don't. That's why. That, that's why I never like using the word "hate" because I'm so, I'm such a loving guy. If you if you meet me, you'll know I'm like, you know, even if you meet me for the first time, I'm going to hug you. And uh, you know, I'm just not a hateful guy. I have none of that in my body. So you have love I'd, in your body, yeah, boy. <laughs> I'd even I'd even give Argento a hug, his frail little butt, and I'd definitely give his daughter a hug. I don't care if she does kiss dogs with tongues. I don't care. She can kiss this dog right here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's hear the scores then. Will, I guess you led on it. Let's hear what you think of this film. I want to hear your ultimate verdict on this film. This is this is it. This is it. Make or break elevator scene. Like I said, I can understand the criticism of the actual moment of violence, but it's what um, preceded it and what followed it that I just just wow, really, really great stuff. And a film full of great stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's the elevator scene for me. Uh, MVT is Refn. It's it's a director to me that is at the height of his powers, and you know it's it doesn't get any better than that. Um, my score for the film is <laughs> oh boy, this isn't it. I'm just trying to mull it over. I am going to say a nine out of ten. Nice. Uh, nice. I had it eight point five the first time I saw it. Then I had it eight point seven five after I watched it. And then when I was talking about it, I have it at nine. Yeah. Um, 
kind of between 8.7 and 5 and 9. It's just, it's right there. I mean, it's it's very, very good. I guess the real question is, do you think after watching it now three times, do you think it would have moved anywhere in your top 30? Because it was in it, there. Yeah, I don't think it would have. I, I don't think it was in my top five or six. I don't think it would have. I, the question I always ask myself now is if it would have beat out, or no, it was one spot ahead of the scan of And the question I ask myself now is if, which of those two films I like better. So yeah, that's a good question because I I scored. I mean, essentially, *Scan Living* was my second favorite film, and this was like my fifth or sixth. So mm-hmm. yeah, so but after watching it again, I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, Dave. You want to give yours? Uh, make or break. Um, I, I couldn't decide here. For me, it was actually the the motel room scene. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a very good scene. We didn't really talk about that much, but it's a really great moment where they take sound out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I've written here Peckinpah Motel. Yeah. 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 It's again cinematically visuals that it goes into slow motion and every all the sound cuts out. It's the first real moment when he he lets the the wolf the shark loose and the first explosion of violence. And again, for me, even more so maybe than the elevator scene when his face is covered in blood and he just very slowly sort of sinks back behind the door frame mm-hmm. like, like a wolf after the kill. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That, that scene w- w- was fantastic. Um, it's, it's a toss-up between that and the elevator, but ultimately I think that the head stomp broke that scene for me. Fair. So I'll go with the motel room. And uh, for me, the most valuable thing was the pairing Gosling... And Riffin as a, I see it as a partnership. Yeah. Because what I've read, the, the amount of input that Gosling had into this movie, and I think those guys should should, should work together for the rest of their careers. Amen. But well, they're working and together. They're working together again, which I'm really excited about. Two more uh, films, at least, maybe three. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I think it was, in recent years, one of the best pairings of director and lead actor I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, do, do you guys do you guys know the plot synopsis of the next film? Uh, I do, but I can't remember. It takes place in Thailand. Hey, let me read this to you. A Bangkok police lieutenant and a gangster settled their differences in a Thai boxing match. (laughs) Amazing. Sounds like an an action international picture film. I know. It's just going to be amazing. I just can't wait to see this thing. (laughs) So what's your your number score? Um, Originally, I put down 9.5. Ooh. Uh, but then I thought about the elevator scene and how great that is and how I just if you just one there's one shot you just if you just took out that one shot I, I, I it'd be a 10 for me I'm gonna go nine nine nice nice nine nice uh, okay so um, my make or break I'm kind of you know I'm glad you guys picked the scenes you picked but I, I gotta you know I think I gave away my hand early I love the whole opening of this film, like the first ten minutes of this film. I just think it's it's brilliant filmmaking. It's it's up there with like the great cinematic openings of all time, in my opinion. I mean, for me, it's up there with like the Goodfellas and the Touch of Evil and you know all that shit. I mean, it's up there. Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is my favorite opening of all time. Um, talk about using sound and no dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> you brought two horses too many. Anyway, uh, uh, I think he just says two too many. Uh, anyway. <laughs> My MVT, I'm going to go, I could go with Gosling because I do think he is a very valuable part of this film, but I am going to go with Refn on this one. I think this is everything he was kind of working towards. Uh, seeing his work, we've done, this is his uh, sixth film on the show, and seeing his work, this feels like every, it's like the culmination of all this stuff he was working on. It's like I've watched this guy develop, mm-hmm. and even though he does wear cowboy boots in public, I think that's okay. <laughs> I think he, I think he can be a little pretentious. <laughs> 
I say that. I remember him and Mads Mickelson had cowboy boots on. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, Mads Mickelson, he can wear whatever he wants anyway. I think he had a cowboy shirt on. Uh, he's a tall dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Solson Breffin, it should be said. Uh, my score for the film, I think it's unanimous, guys. Uh, I give it a 9 out of 10 as well. Nice. I think this film is great, and I've watched it now three times, and every time I like it more. So I'm kind of worried about the power of this thing, if it's going to overcome me with cinematic juices, because uh, I've watched it now three times, and I've loved it more each time. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's like they're hitting the little man in the boat, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> All right, so that is our hour and five minute long review of uh, the Nicholas Winding Reppin's, uh Drive. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about a film that's slightly different. Uh, <laughs> and, res- and, and then restraint. Yeah. Yes. Uh, maximum overdrive. So we'll be back right after this. During this podcast, I've seen a lot of changing in the way you feel about me and in the way I feel about you. In here, there is only one answer to the game to be. But I guess that's better than 20 million. I guess what I'm trying to say is if I can record and you can listen, everybody can be entertained. Yo, Adrian! Action Attraction, your home for all things action. To find out more, visit MetalMikey.Lipson.com or search for Action Attraction in iTunes. I said in the last break, but in case anybody's figured out, we uh, Bad copies. <laughs> we've extended. Say adios. <laughs> oh, don't say adios yet, honey. <laughs> He's done. Show's over. Boom. Drop the mic. Walk off the stage. <laughs> I know I can talk. I can drag on. 
<laughs> but, uh, what I was going to say was, the, Hi. Hey, Will. Hi. Hey, William. How you doing, buddy? You want my phone? Yeah. Okay, you need you to be quiet, though, okay? Because Rick's talking, honey. Okay. All right. I can hear him. I know you can, but that's why Daddy has earphones on. Oh, man. Is he playing music? He's not playing music anymore, no. He's going to talk. This is here, classic. You can take Daddy's phone. <laughs> classic moment on the GGTMC right here. Um, I think. Did you turn it down? Oh, William, you're worse than me for cutting into it. <laughs> Honey, do you want to go take my phone out there and watch it? it give me a kiss and then go, okay? I'm, here, give me a kiss. Okay, do you want to go sit with Grandma? William. All right. Anyway, David, are you are you there? I'm here, yeah. Oh, just to make sure. It's okay. You're getting a classic moment here. It's really great stuff. You can't script this kind of stuff. You can't. No. Um, Anyway, like I was saying, in case anybody's wondering, we, our breaks are a little longer than normal, a little extended due to the death of MCA, who's a big influence on both Will and I. Uh, we both love the Beastie Boys quite a bit and stuff. And we'll talk more about that in the outro and stuff. But uh, in case anybody's wondering why the you know the breaks have kind of went longer, that's why. I mean, we don't always have enough time to do a full... And we don't always honor everybody that passes away, but MCA was kind of special to both Will and I. So he's a big mm-hmm. part of my youth. I know he's a big part of Will's. I don't know how he is for you, Dave, but I mean, for me... And will yeah, no, yeah, so here's a big part of it and stuff. And it's always a shock when anybody passes away, but especially when they pass away. Like the older I get, the more scary this shit gets for me. So, yep. you know, and it's just this crazy thing, you know, salivary gland cancer. I mean, you know, I've known two people that have ever had it and two people I admire, MCA and Roger Ebert, you know. So it's crazy. Unfortunately, MCA didn't uh, survive. So just terrible stuff. Anyway, on a lighter note, let's talk about a movie that uh, – kind of unbelievable on a revisit i couldn't believe this thing after i watched it again i hadn't seen this thing in years and it, i thought i had this interpretation of it down but man i was i was kind of wrong in some ways uh but uh it is uh, 1986's maximum overdrive uh i don't know who wants we didn't really talk about who wants to take the lead on this one uh i don't care i can uh dave you can if you would like uh, uh well i think I think the IMDb synopsis says it all, really, because there isn't much else to say. Uh, a group of people try to survive when machines start to come alive and become homicidal. Yes. And Dino De Laurentiis decided to, for some reason, give Stephen King a lot of money and let him direct a movie when he was coked off his tits. Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah, and this movie feels like somebody that's coked off their tits. It really does. It totally does. Every decision is, is of a man... In the throes of a serious cocaine consumption issue, there's a lot of excess. <laughs> there, there is in every way. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, uh, do you guys want me to take the lead? Is who wants who wants to take the lead? I mean, I'm, I'd be more than willing to do it. Sure. Do it. All right. Um, so Stephen King, the interesting thing about him is that his stories, in a lot of ways, the older you get, the more they feel like they. He takes very simple premises. Premises, uh, premises, there we go. He takes a very simple premise. Let me get that out correctly. Hopefully I'll remember to edit that. Otherwise I sound like a fool. Uh, and he usually has a lot of fun with it. And he, he almost goes into the world of camp with this stuff. Mm-hmm. But he just manages to have this mean spirit enough to keep it in the horror vein. And this film is really, in a lot of ways, a lot like his stories. In that it, it borders on camp. It takes that simple premise, and, and yet it does have some genuinely scary moments in it. Uh, well, I don't know about scary, but definitely interesting. <laughs> it, it almost feels like an EC Comics that um, yeah. that a man, a man from the 50s found a time machine and went to the 80s and found cocaine and rock and roll and decided to make a comic after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So, Will hit me up off the air, you know, asking to, and I'll just divulge a little personal information here. Asking, you know, hey, let's let's open the show with some uh, some Beastie Boy music in light of MCA passing away and stuff. And I thought, yeah, you know, that'd be really great. But the one thing about these two films, and the reason why we opened like we did, both these films have these iconic soundtracks, and and yeah. in a lot of ways, iconic imagery. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, you you when you think of Maximum Overdrive, what's the first thing you think of? The truck. Yeah, the Green Goblin truck, and yep. I yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, how cool is that fucking Green Goblin truck? Amazing. I mean, it's so it, iconic. It's still cool. I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it just it, it's so it, I just love it, and it, I still love it when it pops up in this film. It's like it it's like the star of the film in a lot of ways, and uh, it's it's really great. So you know, I thought about this icon thing, and then you know, MCA being an icon of a different sort, and all these ideas started flushing through my head, and I was like, you know what? We'll open the show with a couple of iconic songs. Because I believe that Drive will be an iconic film in the future, and even though it already is for some of us, I believe it will be. Uh, you know, I, I see maybe my son at some point in time discovering that film. You know, mm-hmm. thinking, "Whoa, Dad, man, you were around when this came out. What was it like?" And I was like, "Well, a lot of people got upset because they didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but that doesn't matter." <laughs> yeah. um, so this film is very interesting too in its iconic way. Now it has an interesting cast. It has uh, Emilio Estevez, uh, who I don't. This is the first time he's been on our show. No, we did, did running scared. Uh, no, not running scared. Um, stakeout. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right. We just take the mustache. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I gonna say. I know Charlie Sheen's been on the show. I just didn't know if Emilio's been on the show, but now he's twice. Charlie Sheen's been on our show. Yeah, the Wraith. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. And then Martin. We need to get Martin up in up in this piece. <laughs> oh, he has been too. <laughs> yeah. With uh, Malik with Badlands. Yeah, yeah. There we go. We've had all the Sheens. Almost. Well, we haven't had Joe Estevez. Joe, yet. No Joe yet. <laughs> We'll get to Joe. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to Joe. He's in lots of Scott Shaw stuff. Um, so we get a, we get uh, Emilio. We got uh, Yardley Smith, the the great and uh, non. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm being sarcastic here. Non obnoxious sex goddess of our time. <laughs> yes, Yardley Smith, uh, the voice of Lisa Simpson. Yes, or Lisa Simpson. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Fasson. There's there's a lot of character actors in here. Frankie Fasson being in he's some Jonathan Demi films I know, but Pat uh, Hingle who's been on our show. Yeah, before. and Pat Pat Hingle I was going to bring up in particular because he is one of the weirdest characters in cinema to me because he calls everybody Bubba and his name is Bubba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is up yeah. with that? Who who decided that was a cool idea? The cocaine uh, Colombia or Peru decided. <laughs> he's like, you know what I'm talking about, there, Bubba. He, I don't give a ladybug. You know, all kinds of weird sayings and stuff. And I got to this note, you know, King is fascinated for hillbilly accents. And I don't know what it is, why why this fascinates him, this culture. I think it must be the Americana of the hillbilly accent, the backwoods thing. I don't know if it's because he lives so far north. I don't know if people, there's a certain type of, like, hillbilly accent that a Maine, you know, this, this, the, this, that, like, where he's from, Maine, that they have a certain type. Like, every area, England, you name it, every area has, like, their... Their cultures where the language is slightly murky, right? We we all oh, know. <laughs> oh, yeah, cross yeah. yeah, yeah, we all have that. Even Canada has it, right? Oh yeah, I East mean, Coasters, man. Yeah, the Foo Bar is a good example of <laughs> yeah. going a little overboard. Well, yeah. But, and I live in the South, and uh, but he gets it right pretty much as far as the way we talk. I mean, Pat Hingle's Bubba Bubba Hendershot is a great example of like my uh, one of my grandfathers growing up. I always had a cigar in his mouth. Always had something to say that was sarcastic, and would always had these really weird sayings, like you know, 
this this weird stuff. Don't get mad. There's you know, a few weird sayings. In this yeah, year. and he always and that's what King always does well. He has these little pop culture type moments that, regardless of his ability to write and whatnot, he tells the story really well. Now, as a director, he he struggles, I think, but but he he gives it the old college try. I I can't doubt that he didn't give it the college try because. This film, I saw this film at the drive-in, it should be said, when it came out. I was all of maybe 13, 14 years old. So we went to the drive-in, we saw it. And at the time, I thought it was like one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys had the same reaction when you first saw it. I don't know. Yeah. Same for me. I think I was probably, I was eight years old. I was seven. It was probably the first truly R-rated movie I saw. Yeah, I just got I just got into rock music and the ACDC soundtrack is the first album I ever bought. <laughs> nice. I, I guess that's why it, it has a sort of nostalgic place. And uh, yeah, I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think about now watching it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it, that, that's understood. I mean, that's the 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 effects of nostalgia and growing older and stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, you see these things. I mean, I was older than you guys, so you can imagine, you know. But I just thought, you know, it just was a mixture of everything I loved. It had violence. It had, uh, you know. Motor vehicles in some weird ways, which it wasn't the kind of motor vehicles I really liked. I like like Transams and Burt Reynolds cars and things like that. But still, you know, you had action violence involving cars. You had kids getting ran over by steamrollers. Yeah, they got silver steamrolled, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's some pretty insane roller I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I know, and I I I'd totally forgotten that he actually you know ran over a child <laughs> in this film. I was like, wow, that's this is pretty harsh, actually. <laughs> And the, the, the soda machine, it's like, of all the things that could go wrong and the ways you could use machines in a in a, in a terrifying way, it's the soda machine. It's like, where the fuck did he pull that from? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's ridiculous, yeah. but massively entertaining. Yeah, it, it, that soda machine took a chunk out, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, the head wound. You made a head wound? Oh, yeah, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is essentially, when you think about it, this is... To me, it's almost like King's kind of take on Night of the Living Dead a little bit. It's essentially yeah. a siege film. Yes. Yeah, it's Assault on Precinct 13. Which yeah, is, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. So but it's his own neuroses. And we have to understand, not only was it cocaine paranoia, but he was a man who let a lot of his neuroses um, come out in his films. Yes. Right? Yes. So this, you know, because I think one of the things that if he had been of a clearer mind, we would have seen... Instead of the insanity we got, and it would have been a better or worse film, we would have seen a film that was probably pretty interesting commentary on our reliance on technology and machines, which I'm stunned have been remade yet. It, it's a great concept. It's an app. It's a fantastic concept. Yeah. Just, uh, and I read somewhere that he did call up George Romero to get his advice. Nice. You just think, what if Romero or John Carpenter had made this oh, film? Oh, wow. I thought what? that too, Carpenter, yeah. 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 And and you and you you see all this stuff and you know I mean you know it's it's in the hands of a director who you know it's a new director, you know he's not a filmmaker by trade he's a storyteller, and you know you bring up an interesting point when you talk about King and his neuroses you know that book uh, and that story dream the Dreamcatcher novel the film and everything, I think that all came about from him having a shit and there was blood in the story. Yes, you're right. From what I recall, too. and then he writes like a seven eight hundred page novel. <laughs> <laughs> because he has this horrifying nightmare that you know maybe he's dying, right? You know he's got blood in the stool. You know it could have been anything. He could have picked up something heavy. Could have ate something bad. I mean, you know, all kinds of stuff can cause that. But that first moment that you see something like that, it freaks you the fuck out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get too personal with that, okay? But uh, you know, let's just say, okay. I, I, yeah, let's just say after Horrorhound, oof, 
I always have a little blood in the stool. <laughs> hey, yo. Uh, no, but I, I, I like this film for what it stands for. It really does feel like a product of the 80s. Everything is very excessive. Some things don't make any sense, however. I don't know why the Buick Skylark never gets possessed that uh, Yearly oh. Smith and her, or, oh, Curtis. Curtis. Yo, Curtis! Curtis? <laughs> Are you dead? <laughs> yeah, the I don't know why that never really becomes possessed. I don't know why it kind of picks and chooses what it needs. I would say that it's mostly because we have to move a story along. I, that's the one thing I wondered was that uh, my one of my notes is simply the word rules. Like I don't, I didn't quite understand what the rules were. Like, and I think I, we can't criticize that too much or analyze it too much. It was mm-hmm. just going to be what it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, it has it has movie logic, right? But it doesn't have like the movie logic of like Drive, which exists in like its own universe, <laughs> yeah, and its own world, like a Tarantino world where there's no morals or something else. But you know, they they exist, and you can kind of get behind them. But this one kind of exists for the sake of story in some ways. Uh, you know, the violence is good in the film. It's 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 it's, it's both morbid and at the same time kind of silly, mm-hmm. like like gore can be. Uh, so it, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. I can totally see King in my head. I can see him off screen, like uh, totally flipping out and stuff. I think one of my favorite things about this film that I wish they would have explored more was the boy riding through the suburbs. Totally, totally yeah. agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Because those moments are really great. First of all, I love anything where there's no signs of human life. Uh, not that I'm this kind of person who wants the world to end. I just think that cinematically, like in 28 Days Later or any film, that gigantic populated backdrops that used to be populated or whatever that when they're empty there is something completely chilling about that mm. that there's no life left right um so i really like that and uh, i like him riding around stuff and some of the you know you get to see some of the after effects of things that have happened in there and they're kind of some of them are kind of silly i think there's one with a girl hanging out of a window with a bra on and i love uh, the dog with the toy cop car in yeah. his mouth <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the, the guy that's been—I think he's been killed by his own uh, uh, Walkman. <laughs> yes, right. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> on his on his veranda or whatever. Yes. Yeah, he's on the porch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I remember reading a long time ago in Fangoria magazine, a magazine that I've been reading for years, that they had an accident with the the actual lawnmower. That's right, with the the DP. Yeah, the and DP. He, he actually got hit with a chunk of wood in the eyeball. Oh, the irony. Yeah, and he yeah. he actually lost that eye. Jesus. Yeah. He tried to sue Stephen King, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think they ended up settling out of court or something. But yeah. I always do that little backstory, which I always found fascinating, which kind of makes sense when you think about the coked-up craziness because that just sounds like something that would happen, right? When you got cocaine going, the filmmaking of the 80s, nobody gives a fuck. Let's say, what the hell? Let's just do it. Oh, we can't find a stuffed animal to play for the dog. Oh, what the hell? Let's kill a dog. You know, yeah. this, there's like this cocaine, you know, uh, insanity that kind of hit the 80s in some ways. And, you know, King's never made light of the fact that he had drug issues. He's had alcohol issues. He's had all these issues in his life. And uh, I like that, like any true artist, he works that into his personal work. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way it should be. I mean, <clears throat> it really should be that way. Now, if I have some drawbacks to the film, it's not that the trucks are great. It should be said. I really like yeah. the trucks. He gives them a personality. Uh, I really like that. If I have some drawbacks to the film now looking at it, it's mostly in the cast. The cast isn't, outside of like four or five players, really, there's not really anybody else that really 
stands out in any way. They really just, although I will say it's really weird seeing Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> yeah, man. And I love that he gets the 80s electricity death. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which, uh, yeah, yeah. which is great, and which is like the laser death. It's like drawn lasers yeah. all over him. Which, which is weird because I think he had like a. Uh, it's an American uh, snack, but I think he had like a snowball stuffed into his hat. <laughs> yeah, which was weird. He had a weird. But, he had a weird snack shoved into his uh, snack. A weird, a weird snack shoved into shirt. I said a weird shirt shoved into snack, but whoa, that sounds, <laughs> sounds sexy. It does. <laughs> but what I also love is the American convention of cigarette machines. Oh yeah, which we don't seen those in ages. Yeah, I don't know if you guys see them up there, but we don't see those anywhere around here anymore. They're all not, gone. Not anymore, really. Since the uh, you know the public smoking bans, you don't get those anywhere anymore. Yeah, and I can remember those cigarette machines like they were yesterday. Like to me, they were like a uh, whoa. Marla Maples is in this film. What? What the fuck? I had no idea. Did you? No. Oh my no. <laughs> she plays second woman. Wow. Ironically. Had... <laughs> 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 really, ironically. I had no idea. How about that? Nice. Anyway, uh, but I like seeing all those little moments. I love the kind of time capsule. It it kind of you know it has this really nice kind of feel to it. It's a film that my score is going to be more tinged with nostalgia than actual critical praise or a, yeah. or non praise because the film still means something to me. But I realize it's not a great film. I realize it's yeah. the it's the product of a man, a madman, and a guy who doesn't really know how to make movies, mm-hmm. and it really feels like that, right? So, uh, but that's really all the notes I really got on the film. I mean, I love the soundtrack. Uh, I just wish the cast would have been. I wish there would have been more character in that cast. I really felt like Trucker One, Two, Three, Four, Five was all the same guy. I think that my problem with it is is kind of in line with yours, and I feel like even the principals and I think the cast was interesting enough on paper but I think part of my problem is one of my notes is I feel like the cast doesn't have enough to do in the film yeah no that's kind of one of my gripes is that you you assemble a group and you kind of want each one to have a little specialty even if it's just a moment and I feel like not everyone kind of gets a moment or or has enough to do as an ensemble Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's just pure A to B Um, yeah I I quite like Estevez I think so do I he did some interesting stuff in the 80s I'm a big fan of his Mm -hmm. Um, and I think he can do that brooding yeah you know, almost nowhere near as good, but the kind of thing that Gosling does in Drive, the less is more brooding, James Dean sort of what what his dad did in Badlands kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is I, a, I, let me just say this. Hey, Dave, let me say this before I forget to say it. This is two yeah. weeks in a row now we've had an actor from The Last Dragon on our show. I know. I was gonna. I was gonna drop the Eddie Arcadian. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I don't know what the odds of that happening are. It's almost like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Well, next week we need to do the Roadhouse uh, off-Broadway thing where um, <laughs> where Ty Mac played uh, the Swayze character. But anyway. <laughs> Sorry, uh, David, you were saying? Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but you're right. It, it is a very vanilla, vanilla cast. and None of them get, get given much to do. Um, but as... As Sammy said, it's more to do with nostalgia, and you know, ACDC is my favorite band as well. Yeah. First album I bought. It's a great soundtrack. Um, but I think, as King said himself, it's uh, it's like the Big Mac of movies. It's a junk movie. It's yeah. uh, you could have gone the other route, the, the Romero kind of more satirical, uh, socio-political yeah. kind of route. But he decided. Obviously, he figured out he didn't know what the fuck he was doing, and okay, let's just make a straight ahead. Okay, it's a B movie. I'm just going to make a ass B. And I think think for him, it's a ass B movie. Yeah, for him, that was the right way to go. Yeah, because if he would have tried to put a real message there, it would have just been. I I think it would have been a total disaster. 
because he wasn't in the state of mind to make a message. Right. right. And I think he embraced that. I mean, there's yes, there's humor all the way through the film. It doesn't yeah. take itself seriously. It has a lot of fun with the concept. So yeah, um, I'm trying to just go through my notes here. Um, there's there's some really again odd moments in the film just before the the machine gun turns up. One of the trucker number seven, <laughs> he, he just comes bursting through and goes, "What the fuck's going on in here?" <laughs> and smashes the, the doors. Yeah. And I think another point in the film, he, you hear in the background, he's playing the spoons, and the guy says stop that and he says i like spoons <laughs> <laughs> what? yeah it's really weird moments with the the truckers and and the problem is that like you know i can't remember who said that that's the problem i have with it like i remember those lines of dialogue but i can't remember the guys faces they all look so much yeah, alike there's some amazing dialogue in this i think estevez says to pat hingle at one point you sir are without a doubt one of the biggest fuckheads i've ever met <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah jesus is coming and he is <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, the thing was, it was a great setting. I love movies like this. I love the truck stop setting. I think it gets a great casting here. The truckers, the waitresses. You know, it's got a great, a great um, cast there. And like I said, I don't want to fault the film too much because it does what it does, and it's fun with what it does. But I think there could have been a really great, like Carpenter, if he had made yeah. this a yeah. really fucking awesome. I film. agree with you with that setting because that's the reason I watched that Paul Bettany film because it's kind of similar. Yeah, motels or truck stops. I mean, they're great settings, man. Well, it's great because you, you get the the thing of they can survive because there's food, there's everything they need. Yeah. But you also get this colorful band of characters, right? And the siege. Yeah. Any, anyway, I think me and you both have a hard on typically for siege films. Anyhow, yeah, yeah, we both love that genre. And I don't know how you feel about them, Dave, but I mean, we we've talked no, about it before. We love them. I think again, also from a from my perspective, uh, you know, being British and. Um, that, that Americana, as I said to Will, that, that fascinates me as well. And this is something, like you said, the truck stop, the motel, it, which is uniquely American. And I find that whole world fascinating with the band of misfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, just think, I wish Carpenter had directed this movie. It would have been incredible. Oh, it would have been up there with the fog for me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, the, the thing that comes the closest, did you see uh, Darabont's The Mist? Oh, I, I totally thought of the mist when I watched this. I love the mist. Yeah. I, I got that. I mean, I think he did. He picked up on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, had that vibe about it. Um, and again, yeah, assault on precinct thirteen, uh, and the whole thing. You know, Spielberg's Jewel and Christine. There's all that, all that kind of stuff. That thing fascinates me. Oh yeah. It was an age too that I think we, I, I get even stuff I haven't seen of that time. I tend to have an inherent love for more because it was a time that I approached things with a sense of wonder and, and almost like everything was magical around me. Yeah. So I'm more receptive to stuff from let's say yeah. seventy eight to eighty five, eighty six. It really is a sweet spot for me. Yeah, no, me too. And King King hits that well too in all of his mm-hmm. writing and all of his stories. He really hits that like the, that formative years of yep. growing up. Totally. That sort of what you just said, where stuff hits you as being kind of fantastical, even though it might not be. Yeah. That kind of hot summer afternoon, riding your bike, getting into getting into stuff with your friends. Oh yeah. You know, he really hits that on the head, like over and over and over again throughout his career. Yeah. Oh, that's, he does. That's why I wish he would have stuck more with that, some more of that suburban stuff in this one, because I think he could have, I think he could have brought out some real like terrifying moments there. But obviously, I mean, it was set at the truck stop. They built the truck stop, yeah. so yeah. 
Oops, oh, silence. It just, made, it just made me think of um, Joe, Joe Danton would have would have done a good job on it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of you know the uh, society falling apart. You know, like he did with Gremlins. Yeah, no, the you're an- right. The anarchy sort of thing. Yeah. Or even uh, Joe Cornish, if you get the the kids into it. Yeah, yeah. Would have been a cool yeah. little film. Uh, sorry, David. Did you do, were you done your notes? Yep. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm uh, I'm yeah, cool sitting here on my medicine ball silently. Looking at the uh, looking at the credits for it, I noticed um, right at the end Milton Subotsky comes up as a as a producer, and he's like the Amicus guy, Amicus Horror. No way! Oh wow, that's weird. And uh, and, and the guy that edited this guy, someone called Evan Lotman, edited The Exorcist. Would you believe? Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah, uh, you know, but work as as you know, working uh, in the uh, in the trenches, so to speak, in the movie business. Uh, I was told, I was telling him while you were off the air, Will, that I was going to tease him as we come back from break. I was going to say, "We're back. It's Will and me and the uh, the storyboard artist for Jiminy Glick in Hollywood." I knew you were going to say Jiminy Glick. I was going to I was going to mention Jiminy Glick when we were talking about it, but I didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, you know that that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, it's feast or famine, right? I mean, work is work. I mean, that's right. Well, exactly. We've we've all got bills to pay, mortgage to pay, family to support. Correct. It's work. Yeah. That's right. I can tell you right now, if somebody came to me right now and asked me to do anything on a Jiminy Click film, I'd do it. <laughs> You're right. Oh, so would I, totally. And as I said to Sammy, I, I got to meet Kurt Russell, so hey. Yeah, it worked yeah. out pretty good for him, wouldn't you say? I'd say so. I would <laughs> certainly. certainly. Like I said, and I can't stress enough, I want, we have to have you back on the show for one review and an interview. I'd love to. Yeah, we're definitely going to do that. Um, I'm going to power through my notes. Like, I've never powered through them. It's interesting he said it in Wilmington, North Carolina, Love's Neck of the Woods, because he's always been a northeast, yeah. uh, typically Bangor and in around Maine. Yeah, so it was It was actually shot in Wilmington, too. Yeah, very I'd be, I'd be curious if Loaf, like, knows where it, this gas station was built. Yeah. I wonder if any, I doubt any of it's still there. Yeah, I think they tore it down. It was, it was actually turned into a real truck stop for a few years. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then it went bankrupt. And the head's still around. The truck head, someone took it off, and they have, and they're trying to find a home for it, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I loved seeing a decidedly analog switchboard near the beginning of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so so weird and so nostalgic for me to see. Um, don't, you think it, mo- don't you think it's kind of weird, though, that... I mean, I, I opened it up with the show with and everything else. Don't you think it's kind of weird, though, if something's going to take over all of our electronics, that it would call somebody an asshole and say, fuck you, on a board? Yeah, I think it's kind of like an odd thing, and it's like it's Stephen King playing God, not really the machines playing God. That's right, man. That's right. Um, there's a moment in the film when I think Estevez has to step away because he's getting squeezed by Hingle, and at that moment we get to see the most disorganized grill in the history of cinema. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's just a mess. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I think um, I've, I think I've eaten off grills that bad before. <laughs> yeah, I probably have. Uh, there's a few scenes where it looks like the dual truck. Yeah. I don't know if that's just the time or not. Like you know, but it's like that dual truck, right? Yeah, that certain model, that certain model of yeah, truck. I know what you're talking. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff I thought was like stupid and kind of in a in a grading way was like a few moments when they try to punk off the trucks. <laughs> like there's a moment when Estevez, like this is a hockey term, he tries to drop the shoulder versus a transport truck. Yeah. And it's like even Scott Stevens, who hockey fans will know, is like one of the most devastating body checkers in hockey history. Like, come on, even Scott Stevens, you don't drop the shoulder versus a, a transport truck. Yeah, it has it's just that, ridiculous. It has that great kind of like high octave uh, voice that Emilio Estevez can do when he gets mad in films. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Well, it's and then that that stuff's bad. And but the worst, the worst stuff in the film for me 
is when they when he says to them, you know, he goes to the truck, and I almost feel embarrassed just saying the line. Where he's like, I got the best shit on the East Coast. Uncut. <laughs> <laughs> when he's going to pump gas into the truck. Oh, it's so bad. And then we get like a gas pumping montage. <laughs> it's like I never thought I'd see that. I know. It's almost sexual in a way. That's <laughs> yeah, weird, man. It's Keeps really dropping weird. the hose, sticking it in my, stick the hose in the tank, you know. <laughs> The, uh, the highlight of that, there's some great hot licking in this film. Oh yeah, oh, well yeah. it's Ang- it's Angus Young, buddy. So. <laughs> you had to know you were gonna they were gonna bring the licks, man, from down under. Um, uh, some trucks. There's a truck explosion in this. The truck's on fire even before it goes off the road. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, Every truck has to explode no matter what. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's trucks circling, and if this one was remade, all those trucks, it would be like a like a like a Premier League soccer jersey or. You know, it would just be covered in corporate logos or like a, a Syria soccer jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't well, you, see it like it was. But, I mean, you got Bic, you know, a few logos. And stuff. Well, I don't even think you'd get away with the Green Goblin now, right? You wouldn't even get away with that probably. No, you wouldn't. Unless, Unless you wanted to pay Arya out the Vaughan ass for it. Yeah, you had to pay out the ass for it now. What's his name? Ari Avad? Is that his name? I don't I don't know. <laughs> the guy who, Ari. Oh, Ari. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the guy that runs Marvel Studios? <laughs> Ari Avad, is it? Uh, uh, Avi Arad? Av- Avi Arad. I had it backwards. Whatever, something. Anyway, moving along. Homegirl keeps a switchblade in her slouch suede cowboy boots. That's a girl I love. Yeah. You know, I had some issues with her, though. I, I don't know she what was it weird. was. She was She was passive-aggressive and kind of hot and cold for me. I mean... I like tomboyish I, girls, but she was a little too... I don't know. I just didn't find her really attractive. Other moments, she was okay. I, I love when she says to Estevez that there's a moment she's too, I'll tell you something. You make love like a hero. <laughs> in, in a room full of centerfold pictures. So it's such a romantic... It is. There's you know. pictures of like Bush all over the wall. I don't even know how they got away with an R rating. You're so fucking pornographic. <laughs> it was great. And it was great. It was right pre- preceding that. We get a rocket launcher. <laughs> yes. oh, it was amazing. Bazooka action in this film. Yeah. What's that? There is tons of rocket launcher bazooka. <laughs> yeah. So much. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And of course, we have to get the scene when the waitress, this is kind of stupid too, when the waitress is like, we made you. Yeah. We made you. And then I think you, who made you? Yeah, and and you also have the classic uh, Laura Harrington. She saying the title of the movie in a line of dialogue. Yes. Like everything's the maximum overdrive. Yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh I know. man, that's always um, painful when they try to work in the title. Yeah, we've had it two weeks in a row. I know. Um, and now those are all my notes because my tortier, which is a, a great Canadian uh, meat pie, is. It's out of the stove. Oh, so. nice meat pies! But yeah, I can smell it. I'm getting hungry on this medicine ball. <laughs> that sounds perverted somehow. I don't know Your meat pies and medicine balls. Oh, but we also get adios, motherfucker from yeah. Estevez, Two weeks great. in a row, we've gotten adioses from people in the film. It's pretty awesome, huh? Yes. In a crazy couple weeks, mm-hmm. it's almost like David listens to the show or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, my make or break. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm going to go with the make. I like the neighborhood scenes. I like the baseball stuff, the Little League baseball stuff. For some strange reason, that stuff just speaks to me. I grew up in a suburb like that, so I can just feel that heat, wanting that cold soda, uh, I, random steamrollers going through my neighborhood. That always happened. Uh, mm-hmm. No, but uh, in all seriousness, I just really love that kind of, That's my favorite kind of Americana because that's what I can relate to. Um, I grew up in kind of like a suburban type of situation like that, and I remember riding my bike over to my friend's house, and we didn't know what we were going to get into. Uh, let's just hope that, you know, as a parent now, I hope my son doesn't get into what I got into, but uh, right. Jesus, I think yeah. about that all the time now. <laughs> like, I got to watch him. I don't want him to do what I did. Um, Mom, MVT, I got to go with the Goblin truck. It's, it's, it's an iconic image, mm-hmm. uh, and it works. It still works in the film. I still like it quite a bit. 
Um, I like all the stuff with the trucks, really. I mean, it's kind of silly. The ice cream truck's kind of crazy. I like how it's kind of like... It's cool. It's like kind of wacky, right? It's like I almost yeah. feel like the guys that made that Twisted Metal video game, like they yeah. they must have seen this or something, you know? Totally. There's something a little eerie about it. It's, yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, well, ice cream trucks typically by nature are kind of eerie, right? Because in America, I don't know about anywhere else, in Canada or in England, but in America... You know, we had a whole rash of child molesters and serial killers driving these things. Uh, mostly drug dealers over here. <laughs> and we have that, too. So if they're not, they're hiding it pretty well. But trust me, they're, they're definitely something. All right, I got I got uh, Jehovah Witnesses walking through my neighborhood. So one of them's getting ready to knock on my door. I just have a hunch. He's coming up my driveway. So I'm about to pull out the Pat Hingle rocket launcher. Get the rocket launcher out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you notice Pat Hingle, I always look at his hands because he's, he's missing his little finger. Didn't know that. Yeah, on on his left hand, I think he doesn't have a little finger. My son calls it the baby. Yes, he wasn't doing blow with King that night. Hey, will make make sure I remind you next time my son's home and we're recording. Make sure I remind you to get him on the show because I got him saying stinky steamies. Nice. It's hilarious. I'll I'll say what? How does Diesel go? Yeah, I'll say how does Diesel go, and he'll just go stink, guys, (laughs) stink. It's hilarious, man. You got to hear it. It's funny shit. I'll get him to do it on the show sometime. Uh, My score for the film, I'm gonna go six point two five. This film definitely is. It's pretty. It's pretty chopped up and and pretty bizarre. It's a really fun rewatch. Uh, I look forward to watching it one day with my son. I know as bizarre as that sounds, but this sounds like this is like the kind of movie I liked watching as a kid. It hasn't aged well, but it does have that nice nostalgic 80s feel that I, I like from films like this. And, uh, you know, it still works pretty good. It's only an hour and a half. The whole film's on YouTube, by the way. It's not a real... Yeah. I think it's out of print, right? I think, so. I, think, I think I think there's DVDs out there, but I think it's out of print. I think you can buy used DVDs for like five bucks, though, if you really want to own it. There's an Anchor Bay edition of it. Think, yeah. Which is why yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I just watched it on YouTube. I just pulled up YouTube and watched it in 10 parts. It's not the best way to watch a film, but... You know, I got the gist of it, and it was still a very entertaining experience for me. I can take or leave Yardley Smith, though. I will say yeah. that. But 6.25. Uh, I could leave Yardley Smith. Yeah, I could take. Well, I don't know. It depends on what I'm drinking. But anyway. Nice. <laughs> Tilda, Yardley, Sammy, bottle maker's mark. Yes. Oh, oh, man. The hickeys that would be involved in that in that threesome. Oh, forget oh. about it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, 6.25. Fun revisit, though. I believe, yeah, I believe it's David's uh, turn. After you, Will. After you. Okay, so my make or break, yeah, I gotta go with the opening. I think it's a great opening, you know, get that bridge. That's a really great, we didn't really talk about that. That's a great sequence with the bridge. And it, logistically, I think about when I watched it, I was like, oh man, how did they pull that off? Some really great stuff. I love the opening with kind of like the machine's first kind of salvo and and them kind of banging back on all of us. I like the bridge scene, but I feel like it goes on just a tad it too does. long. It starts to, yeah, because things start sliding like, whoa, kind of wacky a little bit, but yeah. it, it's still pretty good. Um, <laughs> Once, well, once watermelons start falling off the truck, well, you know? I, I omitted my note of Gallagher or Gallagher orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That scene and disgusting nose pick. Um, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, really awful. Uh, MVT is the concept, super cool concept. I wouldn't be averse to a remake in the right hands. Um, and uh, my score is just a little bit higher than your six point five. Uh, like I said, this is a very a very flawed film. Um, but it has some fun stuff, and I think that it's certainly enhanced by the nostalgia factor. And the, 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 my nostalgia personally, and just for that overall era of film. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the same. My uh, MVT, sorry, Make or Break is, um, is the opening. I think it's a great opening. Um, technically, setting up the concept, the, the tone, just Stephen, Stephen King when he comes out and called an asshole and. <laughs> She's saying fuck you, but the the action of the the, the drawbridge thing I think is really well put together. Yeah. Uh, and 
my MVT would probably be the soundtrack. Yeah, good, good call. It, yeah, that's it really it make it really completes the film for me and yeah. gives it the character. And I think Stephen King is a big ACDC fan as well. He personally went to them and asked them to do the soundtrack. Yeah, because they don't normally do this kind of stuff. He's a huge fan. No, they don't, and they haven't had much luck with soundtrack. No. <laughs> hey man, which I, I love. Which yeah, I, I like both films. <laughs> Just love too. Yeah, we got, there's one we got to do, man. There you go. We'll do last. We'll do last action hero, and we'll have you on for an interview. <laughs> I would love to talk about that. We will, because I love it. So that's good. But uh, I've already talked about it on another show, but I would love to talk about it on our show. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the soundtrack. Um, that's it. Score? Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm going to go seven. Nice. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. I think, I think it's a, it is a mess. It's a mess of a movie, but it's a hugely entertaining mess. I have to wonder, though, I mean, you know, being European like you are, uh, you know, I have to wonder, people from overseas, how they, you know, they see this film, the Americana aspects of it. I mean, you definitely got an American, uh, a man. It's that that tipped it over for me. It's that, it's the 80s thing and the time I saw it and yeah. what we talked about earlier. So, that, yes, there is a lot of nostalgia and it's a bad movie, but it's so much fun. Yeah, no, no, no. I agree. I mean, it is a mess, but it is it is a fun prime, mess. Prime trash, and Stephen King admits it's trash, but <laughs> it's, it's prime trash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, that's our thoughts on Maximum Overdrive from '86. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to go into pleasantries or if you just want to talk about. Uh, this week we're going to cut it out because I, my family's been waiting for dinner too long, and I'll feel uh, like a shithead. Okay. I want to save the time I would spend on that to thank David for picking programming a great episode. For supporting our show financially, creatively, and in every way he does, yes. um, it's 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 really like Sammy had said earlier. It's flattering and humbling, and just so touching to know that we have great people in our corner that dig what we do and and participate in what we do um, with people like yourself. Dad, I can't thank you enough. It's been a, it's been a blast, and we definitely could have doubled this this episode time if we uh-huh. wanted to. Oh, fellas, it's been a pleasure. Um, and I'm so glad I discovered you guys, and I'm so glad that I can do things like this and, and be a part of it. Yeah, and I echo what Will said. I mean, for me, and, and this is just my personality, but to me, you know, you're not you're just a face. I mean, you're, to me, you're as much as a friend. I've never met you face-to-face, but... I Likewise. Wanna, yeah, I want to thank you so much for uh, you know everything you've given to us and a lot of stuff we never even asked for. So it's very, very humbling to know that, uh, you know, that we have people out there who who love what we do because that's why we do this kind of stuff I mean we love doing it we love that people love listening to it and we love people coming on and talking with us I do and like many other people have said on the group um, it's like finding like minded people you know like long lost brothers that mm-hmm. it's like that someone that is totally on your wavelength and uh, it's great to, to discover that and now become a part of it yeah yeah it's really great and, and, and it, it's a date. Once we get through all of our obligations, it's going to be Last Action Hero and you telling us some stories about uh, Perlman eating ribs, <laughs> uh, Russell, and everything else you can cook up. Okay. Yeah. By then, okay. who knows who he's met? I mean, by then, you know, he could have met somebody oh, yeah. else. You know? Right. Who knows? Uh, do you want to take this moment instead of saying, uh, you know, our normal like thing? Do you want to say? Do you want to just talk a little bit? You really haven't talked about MCA at all. No, I, and I, I'll keep it very brief. You know, they were. They are my favorite musical act, uh, musical group of all time. They influence so much of, of um, everything I do. Uh, you know, as far as the influence, the, the stuff I dig, whether it's um, of that '60s, '70s, the funkiness, the pop cultural pastiche that they were able to throw together, I really feel like it's something that subconsciously and consciously informed a lot of stuff I do and like and am. 
uh, and it's it really sad. I, I, I really did almost cry. If I hadn't been at work and I hadn't been myself, I probably would have cried because it was a, a big moment, a, a sad moment because that, that's it. They'll never be again. And, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's really is sad. So, yeah, I mean, it's, a, um, it's the end of the Beastie Boys. It's really sad. Yeah. And they've been with me my whole life. I mean, since I was, you know, they started, I think, in the early 80s. And, and I've been, I mean, I was 179. So I've seen them my whole life. I've seen them grow from pissing on audiences to being really socially conscious, wonderful people. So, you know, it really is a sad, sad loss. He was a husband, a family man. And it's, uh, that's, so, that's really, that, we, that more than anything is the sad part. You know? We should say also that he was involved in the film world, too. So. You know, oscilloscope, yeah. Yep, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying it's really a shame of all the things. I think there was a lot more to come Yeah, from I, from I, Adam Yelch. I mean, I think there was a lot more than just the Beastie Boys. I think he had a whole lot of irons in the fire with film and stories and documentary filmmaking. Social movements. And he directed yeah. some videos. Some of my favorite videos he directed. Yeah. Nathaniel oh, Hornblower, right? So. Yeah, man. That's right. Uh, and I do just want to quickly say what we're talking about, what we're covering next week. Okay. Uh, we're going to be covering... Uh, Two films, that's going to be our Boulevard Movies and Feedback episodes. So we're covering A Dress to Kill, but De Palma, the Blu-ray of that, which Ooh. we're both huge fans of. Yeah. And Not to give it away or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trust- and then we're also going to be, which is a nice little programming, because one of our listeners made a, a small film uh, from your neck of the woods, and it's, uh, uh, David, it's, it's Kitten in a Cat Trap, or Kitten in the Cat Trap. Right. which is uh, one of our good friends of the show, James. We've been promising it for quite some time. He was gracious enough to send it to us. Uh, we're going to be covering that. Just not so much in, in a formal review sense. We're going to maybe spend about 15 minutes talking about it very briefly uh, and just talk, talking about the film. And he can maybe send us in something saying talking about the film or introducing yeah, if he, it. And if he hears about it, We're yeah. going to plow through our feedback. So anything you guys want to say about uh, this amazing episode that they've programmed or um, anything else, please do so. And again, other than that, I would just say, Dave, thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great having you on and great picks. Yes. All right. So, with all of that being said, I will say adios. Adios. There we are.